this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. What a crazy weekend. We break it all down and get you set for week seven. But the big news of the week, World Macross is heading to San Diego for 2023. Steve Govett, who has helped champion this mission for quite a while, will stop by and talk about it all. All that and more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League Action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? Why Dylan Ward? I don't believe what I just saw. That's the shame of the year right there. Oh, wow. Well, right down the middle, shoots, and he scores! Jenner. He is Pat Gregoire. You can find the show on Twitter at OTCB Podcast. You can find him at P. Greggy. I am at Teddy Jenner. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at OTCB Podcast, where we post some clips, preview what's coming up, um, make fun of each other, and all that good stuff. Uh, Patty, what's going on, brother? How are you? Doing good. Uh, officially off the protocol list. Hey! Yesterday, yeah, yeah. Yesterday was uh, my last day of isolation. Uh, took took the old test. No double line, just the single line. So anyone who's taken a test knows that means I am in fact all clear. So uh, fingers crossed, ready to go in the hammer this weekend. Was looking forward to finally seeing that building um, and the ruckus crowd uh, at Rock City, but. Yeah, no fans this week, but hey, <laughs> beggars can't be choosers. I'm going to be in the building, going to call a cross game on, on TSN with Ashley Docking and John Abbott, and I can't wait, man. I, uh, wait. I, I, I mentioned this on uh, Coast to Coast this week. You're going to have the most eyes on you that anyone in a lacrosse game has ever had on them before. There's going to be no fans in the building, so everyone's going to have to watch you on TSN. No pressure at all, Teddy. No. Thanks a lot for that. Yeah, no worries, buddy. Before, right? No worries. Nerves are good. <laughs> it means you're ready. Um, how's your prep going for you? You got, do you have a crazy spotter board like our man, Dave Lino? No, that looking at Dave Lino's and shout out Dave Lino. Yeah. Um, actually a little bit of a spoiler alert going through my Greggy's grinders. I think he's going to get a nod this, yeah. this as a grinder for calling two games in the same day. Um, one of them pretty last minute considering he had to jump in the saddle for, uh, my fellow Omicron brother uh, and fellow <laughs> broadcaster, uh, Brandon Glasheen. And yeah, so Glash was put on the shelf and he had to jump in. So shout out to him. But no, those 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 boards, I mean, the one that he has is insane. Um, I, I know you have a, a new formula that you use, which I, I think I'm going to try this week. The only thing is with color, 
you don't need no you don't need nearly as much readily like i have time where i can go like even sometimes i always have my laptop up just in case i need to look you have the ability to go and look at things and look stats up and and find things whereas the play-by-play guy is always kind of on yeah, and has so to quickly look down to find something. Yeah, but I do like having my sheet with, you know, names in order, a couple yeah. little nuggets here and there. Um, but, like, I, I mean, I, I got to say I'm quite lucky considering this game. It's probably the two teams that I know the best in the National Lacrosse League. One, yeah. um, you know, the Halifax Thunderbirds, who I uh, call their games every home game. And then the Toronto Rock, a team that I've been around for a long time, called the Oakville Rock game. So a lot of those players, I call them in the summer. So two teams that obviously very um, familiar with, but two teams that are very intriguing right now, but for two completely different reasons, which we'll get into a little bit later mm-hmm. on the show. It's kind of like Oakville versus six nations. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It's very, very similar rosters. Um, one other thing about the Dave Lino thing. Uh, he called that first game on ESPN as the game of the week uh, and in house, I believe. And then he was in studio in New Jersey for the next game. Cause he wasn't going to be able to get all the way to Albany to call that game. So calling, I calling a lacrosse game remotely. I mean that like when I you had, think of the guys in the NHL and the NBA, like all the other pro leagues um, at times have done it this past quarantine, whatever, but that's gotta be, that's gotta be a challenge. Yeah, I mean, I actually had no idea that was the case. I thought he was in the building. And I, I'm pretty, I don't think there was any way he would have been able to drive from Philly to Albany or get to Albany in time. I mean, that's I was I was wondering how that was going to work, but that makes a lot more sense. But that makes it harder, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure. I mean, when we're recording this um, last night um, for the Leafs uh, Vegas game, um, the Golden Knights. I don't believe Gord Miller and Ray Ferraro were in the building and right. you could tell um, and though they're two of the best in the biz, uh, but you could tell that they weren't, you know, on, on, you know, in the building on location, because there was a couple of times where Gord Miller said a different name and then it ended up being a different name because, you know, you're looking off a screen, you're calling uh, the calling a game from actually watching a television set. So that's pretty impressive. So uh, shout out to him. Uh, he's going to be on my Greggy's grinder this week. Unfortunately, not, the grinder, but you'll Ooh. get an honorable mention. Um, but uh, yeah, you can watch out for that pick uh, or that that uh, column uh, on the lacrosseflash.com. Uh, I'll also have my box bets. But if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to get a little bit of a preview for box bets a yeah. little later in the show. How well, many you were damn good. have I just thrown? Oh. <laughs> and you were damn good. You put a, like three or two or three already. And you were damn good in box bets last week. Uh, yeah, but you know what? The big one didn't cash, and that's yeah, the one I that I'm, I'm most proud of. And we got to get back on track. We're going to get to that later. Another tease. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, we let's win badly. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the Every Child Matters um, initiative that went down last week was incredibly received. All the in- interviews that were done with the Indigenous players were fantastic. You could feel from young to old, you know, you're interviewing young Marshall Palace, who's a brand new rookie in the league. And then you're interviewing Lyle Thompson, who's, you know, a a seven-year veteran and one of the most respected guys in our league. And you can just hear their stories and what it means to them and how important this message is. And I thought that from layout to finish, 
this was a very well executed program uh, for the first time by the National Cross League. Yeah, and I, I loved how every single game there was an interview with someone um, who was Indigenous and who has actual mm-hmm. personal ties to it. And obviously some more than others, some actually had, you know, grandparents um, that were in residential school, some just, you know, just being, you know, Indigenous and having, you know, relatives uh, or even just seeing the effects um, of, of friends um that was, I think, really cool. And that was important that because, you know, you can, you can wear the shirts for awareness, which is great. You can have that halftime piece, which was fantastic, very well done uh, by NLL Productions as well. But um, to actually have a player in each game, um, you know, talk about what it means to them and uh, how special of a moment it is. And it is, you know, you, there was a lot of guys that you could, you know, tell it's bittersweet. It's great because it, it's spreading awareness, but that doesn't solve everything. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean that, you know, everything is reconciled. There's still a lot of pain. There's still a lot of suffering. Um, and, you know, all of them were, were very well done, but the interview with Devin Caney and, and Lyle Thompson, um, everyone knows how well-spoken Lyle Thompson is, but the way that he portrayed um, the whole movement and what the league w- was doing and, and what it means to him was was really special. And I, I think you can find that on social media. Uh, well, let's start there with our weekend wrap-up of week six. Uh, the ESPN game of the week at noon on a Saturday. Um, wings in, um, you know, another crazy lacrosse game. Find a way. Almost blew it. Oh, God. But got the job done, and the Wings are what three and one now, and up at the near the top of the East, depending on if they're going by you know wins and games played or win percentage. Um, but Lyle was also fantastic in that game, and it, it's crazy to see when he when his team team needs him, he has that ability to just take his game to another level. Eighteen points in his last two games we're we're seeing Lyle Thompson on an MVP level and I mean normally we do and I think every single season that he's probably played uh, in the National Lacrosse League you could probably put him into that conversation Um, but when you watch him this year uh, he's a man possessed and it seems like like you said it's not just the numbers that he's putting up it's when he's scoring those big goals or when he's setting up those big goals he is I mean, I don't, is there a guy that you would want at the end of the game with the ball in his stick more than Lyle Thompson? I mean, there's probably a few answers you could have. He's got to be one of your top three picks, whether he's putting the ball in the back of the net or he's finding someone and yes, they didn't get the job done. So technically, you know, he didn't get the job done, but he was able to will that team um, into that game, make sure, you know, that they were in it and that they were, I mean, you could argue that, you know, from start to finish, they, they played a better, well, more well-round game. Um, if it wasn't for Eric Penny, which was probably the biggest story of this mm-hmm. game, uh, he stood on his head. He was unbelievable. And it was a little bit of a shock that we saw him, um, you know, signed and then put into the active roster when we found out that <clears throat> yes, uh, the Higgy bear, the tendy bear wouldn't be ready to go. Not because he broke his nose earlier, but because he was on COVID protocol. Yeah. And um, so timeline of things. Um, I spoke with Paul day and they actually had had Eric Penny pretty much 
handshake deal agreed to a, a contract middle of December. Yeah. And we and, kind of heard rumblings about that. Didn't yeah. We? And, it, and it hadn't gotten announced yet uh, just because there was the Christmas break and they weren't playing and everything was going on. Um, and they just, he just kind of kept in his back pocket. And then obviously when they needed it to happen, they, they, they released that deal and it kind of comes at the perfect time because they knew uh, Tandy bear wasn't going to be able to play and they put him on COVID. So they bring in Eric Penny and um, what a story, like you said, and, and coming off of what happened the night before in Vancouver with, with their situation with Alex bouquet and, and the night that he had, you know, it kind of raises a lot of questions of, why they went one way or the other. But I thought Eric Penny coming in, having not played in a couple of years, essentially, uh, to have that kind of performance with a brand new team was phenomenal. Uh, I have been on the other end of a Paul Day ear lashing. Um, and I know Matt Rambo was feeling every word that was yelled out of Paul Day's mouth. But boy, did Blaze Reardon bail him out. Big time, and that's what best buddies do, right? They yeah, it is bail what each other out. Do. And uh, ramble, boy, oh boy, that's one of those things where I mean, our group chat was popping off. Just yeah, like, what what is he doing? What? But usually, when that happens, we see the other team go down and, and capitalize and score. But this just seems like this Wings team find ways to win. You said it already, but I mean, looking at their schedule. Uh, or their their scores from this season: a one goal win over Panther City, a two goal win over the uh, New York Riptide, uh, a loss to Toronto where they had guys coming in and out last minute due to COVID, uh, but then another one goal win from Georgia. And I think you can spin this two ways, however you like. And I'll kind of ask you this question: Is this a good thing early on that they're able to find ways to win? and win those close games or is this a kind of a testament maybe saying that you know maybe they're not quite as good as we think they are because they're just getting by some of these teams that are lower in the standings and the one game where they kind of had to face some adversity uh with players going in and out they lost to toronto and it was a 12-9 game but i think the score wasn't even really the story Uh, i thought toronto really dominated them in that game yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, they are plus one on the season, Pat. Like, in goal <laughs> for goal I mean. differential. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That, that, and I think your, your point and your question is very valid because are they a good team or are they a, a team that has benefited from playing, you know, essentially two expansion teams in their first two weekends? Um, they lose to Toronto in, in the game you mentioned, and then uh, a Georgia Swarm team that's been struggling all year long. I don't know. And I don't think we're ever going to – we might get a, a good test this weekend and the next weekend when they play Albany and Rochester. Because those are two teams that are trying to prove themselves. And if, if they can put solid outings together, I think, okay, they sort of start to climb into that, are we for real or are we not for real? And – I think they are for real. I think they're just, they're making some bad mistakes and it's allowing teams to stay within games and yeah. they, they need to find that killer instinct and they played these teams. They're still trying to prove themselves in those first two games. 
I, I think Philadelphia is okay. I, I am not concerned about the wings at all, but it is, you know, if, if they put out a couple of more games where they're just kind of meh and then they get into February and they have to play Toronto and Halifax twice and Buffalo in, you know, in the, in four weeks time or four weeks span, if they're putting out those kind of efforts, then they're going to be in trouble. They need to find some killer instinct. They need to clean up their game, but I'm not worried um, about the Philadelphia wings. A team some people might be worried about are the Saskatchewan rush. Um, five goals scored from an offense that boasts Mark Matthews, Robert Church, and they only put up five goals against Albany. Is this now it's the Albany of old or are the rush really in trouble? I think it's a bit of both. And let's just maybe dive into this game first before we kind of dissect what's going on with the rush. Cause I do want to give uh, Albany a ton of credit. I want to give them uh, a boatload of credit in that game. They drew up a tremendous defensive game plan. Basically they said, we're going to try to contain Matthews. We're going to try to contain church. And if we can contain them, we're going to invite the rest of the team to try to beat us. And that's exactly what they did. They did a great job checking those two. I thought Bomberry played an unbelievable game. I thought John LaFontaine was outstanding as well. Um, and I thought even, um, you know, I, I thought even Joe Nardella start to show, and he wasn't mm. their, one of their top defenders, but he showed that he's not just a face-off guy. Uh, he's a guy that can take a solid shift. He can play that system um, that that they have implemented. And this is an Albany team that a lot of people were worried about offensively. And they obviously were worried as well, but they go out and they get Ryan Banesh. But their offense didn't explode or anything. Um, you know, they were just no, better. Yeah. But that's they didn't change their identity. They didn't say you know, this isn't working. They knew this could work. They knew their defense was going to work. They knew Doug Jamison was going to be better. And boy, was he better. That was mm. much, much more of a Dougie Jamison performance that we saw. But they knew their offense wasn't good enough to support the way that they were built. So that's why they went out and got Banash. And they're going to be a team that's going to try to aim to, to score that, you know, 10, 11, 12 mark because they know their defense can hold it down. Did they think they were going to, you know, hold Saskatchewan to five goals? I don't think so. Um, yeah, no but they doubt. certainly, they certainly will take it. And, and I, I got to give kudos to them because it was a, a perfectly executed game plan um, from the defense and even to the offense. Um, that offense looks a lot better with Banesh. Uh, and I think it just jolted some confidence in some of their shooters uh, that were struggling and gripping the stick earlier on in the season. I think it gave defenses, it gave, it gave that rush defense a focal point to focus on, right? Because there's no Callum Crawford, there's no Steph LeBlanc. Sure, Riley O'Connor is, is a great young player. Q is a great young player, but Joey Rez is, is a great veteran in our league. But Banesh is a different level, right? You have to always be aware when Ryan Banesh is on the floor. So that takes a lot of eyes to make sure that he's under wraps. So I yeah. think that kind of opened up the Albany offense a little bit. But I think I, I am more concerned about the rush. No Shatler in the lineup um, as he was put on COVID hurts. Marshall, Marshall Palace has yet to figure out the National Cross League. I just don't think he's big enough. I don't think he's fast enough. He he's, hasn't been able to fit into the NLL scheme of offense that uh, Bubba runs with that team and Jimmy Quinlan runs with that team. 
Um, I think the most glaring omission is Ben McIntosh. Uh, he's now in Philadelphia and he had a great game for the wings, maybe his best of the year so far with them. That is a huge loss. That was, you know, the reliable diagonal from Mark Matthews all the time to Ben McIntosh, like all the time. It, it was there. He could just fire it at will knew Ben McIntosh was there and he'd be able to get a shot off. I, I just don't think they're there yet. And, um, Derek Keenan is quoting and saying that he hasn't been happy with his offense and they've taken some shifts off and maybe he, you know, he's not ready to make the jump, but he kind of hinted that maybe if things continue this way, that a, a change will be needed. Yeah. And I think you have to think that way. It, you know, they're not hitting the panic button. Like you said, he's not panicking, but he realizes that this isn't good enough. Um, you know, you can point to say, you know what, Ugh, gosh, you know, the Adam, uh, Adam shoot, uh, project is not, is not working. The experiment's not working. Well, you know what? Yeah. He wasn't great that game, but it also wasn't his fault. <laughs> like th- his offense scored five goals. Mm. Yeah. The defense is still the best, one of the best defenses in the league. They're chipping in with some transition goals as well. So you can say, you know, this doesn't look like a a traditional rush team from, from whatever angle, but when it comes down to it, five goals from all that talent, it's, it's unacceptable. And you, you can say what you want, but Matthews has 18 points in four games. Church has 16 and four and Keenan has 14 and four. And then there is a drastic, drastic drop off. Dan Littner, six and four games. Not bad as a secondary scoring option, but he can't be your fourth highest scorer at only six points. Jeff Shatler has five and three, but like we mentioned, he missed that last game. Powellis, no goals, only three assists. Courier, yeah, two points in four games. Mike Mallory, one point in two games. So, I, I, I mean, it just shows that you can't just pluck pick and pluck players and put them in this system. Like, you know, Littner at six points in four games, you probably want a little bit more, but he's showing that he can fit this system. Well, he knows the um, system, right? He, he knows he played with the exactly. junior with, with all those guys. Exactly. And he played Brooklyn and where they mm-hmm. ran a very similar system. So we know he's fine. Um, you know, I agree 110% with you about Paulus. I just don't think he's a national lacrosse league player just yet. He has a ton of potential. Uh, I just don't think it's there. And I think the ALL right now, not running right now in Ontario is hurting him because I would not be surprised if he would be put on the practice roster uh, and, and playing and getting his touches and getting his Mm. rep and getting his confidence back. Uh, But the big red flag for me, I already mentioned it courier. I don't think he works in this offense. I'll be straight up. I, I like his game. I think he's a fine player. I just don't think he fits in this offense at all. And it's showing very early on that Mm. he's a guy that he's not a guy catch, you know, move the ball quick, go in, set a pick, rotate and always moving around. He's a guy that needs the ball on his stick. He needs to drive hard to the net, you know, dive into the crease. Um, You know, he's a guy that's, you know, always following the ball to the crease. He's a, a guy, like I said, I like his game. It's just, it doesn't fit into this offense. And, he seems like a, he's a guy that is kind of trying to replace uh, Marty Dinsdale and he's not Marty Dinsdale. Marty Dinsdale maybe isn't as skilled as a guy like Couriers, but Dinsdale's a guy that could run that offense in his sleep, sets some of the best picks. Um, he, he seemed to always be in on scoring 
uh, yeah, Denzel is an off-ball genius. Yeah, yeah, and he and even if he's not involved directly with an assist on a goal, what I was going to say is he's involved with a guy setting that pick or setting the seal or he you know drives a man through or you know makes that great pass across the floor um that that starts the scoring on the other side it's just you're missing that off ball floor general um and it's showing quite a bit and i i don't know how you go about finding someone like that um or what you have to do but they're not hitting the panic button. They said it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they're certainly searching for some different answers right now. Uh, they'll be put to the test against San Diego this weekend in a makeup game, but we'll get to that uh, later on in the broadcast. Um, the Calgary game obviously was postponed to later in the year, not a set date for that as of yet. Um, sidebar Halifax game was postponed as well. Patty, their game in a couple weeks at home. Just yeah. So yeah, next game will be postponed, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Nova Scotia is going to extend theirs till the end of the month, you know, meaning that that uh, they can't have any games played. And even if they were, it was going to be an empty building. So they're going to figure out a way. And, and this, I won't get into it too much. This is something that we can probably talk about next episode. But um, now all of a sudden, their April is looking very, very busy. Right. Um, they already had a, a packed late schedule. Um, now you add another game uh, down the stretch. Uh, they're going to be playing a lot of lacrosse heading into the postseason. That could be a good thing. Could yeah, good thing. you're right. You you're absolutely right. You never know. Uh, okay, so the the, two, the we haven't talked about three games: the the Toronto Buffalo game, uh, San Diego Panther City, Vancouver Colorado. Um, let's start in Toronto. Uh, or sorry, in Buffalo. TSN game of the week: Tucker Out Lymphoma Night. Uh, the picture beforehand was uh, a, a, a great omen for what was about to come. Um, but it was a standard and fantastic Buffalo-Toronto rivalry game that had a little bit of everything, was just pure entertainment. And the phrase is now the Brad Marchand of the <laughs> National Lacrosse. He is a rat. He loves it. He plays the role perfectly. And everybody in an opposing uniform just wants to take their fist and drive it through the back of his face. And I love it. I'm here for it. I am all aboard the phrase train. And I am thoroughly looking forward to Toronto Buffalo the next time they play. But let's start with, with Fraser. How just pure joy did you get of just watching him be an entertainer and and reveling in that bad guy role he's the perfect villain if you are not a fan of the buffalo bandits and if you are a member of bandit land you absolutely love him you probably went to the the shop on your way out and got a fraser jersey if you didn't already have it i mean the point to Nick Rose after the oh just crazy like, like are you kidding me and then when he swam to Snoo and scored that underhand rip he immediately looked back at Snoo who fell over yeah and, and laughed in his face um he got he got popped a couple of times earlier yeah. on in the game so obviously he had a, he had a bullseye on him from before I mean he had a bullseye like he, from like the first shift 
he he had the bullseye from like a, a season ago. Like it's not like <laughs> right. he's just turned into this villain. He's kind of played it for a while. I think we just finally saw it on the big stage, and he maybe upped it a little more because it was a, a TSN game and a rivalry game. And and you know what? He was feeling himself. He was playing a great game. But I I agree. I, I tweeted it out. Like these are the personalities that if you're gonna want to grow the game to the casual sports fan, you need the Chase Frasers, the guys that either you absolutely love and you love how he is, you know, like you said, the Brad Marchand, or oh. you absolutely hate yeah. to watch him, hate and, him. You, and you want someone to go out there and pound his brains out. So those polarizing characters are exactly what the game needs, and he, he is exactly that. But I will say, he's got to know that at some point he's going to have to answer the bell. He is, yes. He is and going he can to do that, get grabbed, and he's either going to throw the belt on, and hold on, take a guy to the ground, whatever. Or he's going to throw a couple bombs. And yeah. you know what? If if they're going to send, like, here, here's, the, here's the dichotomy of it all. Like, we're not trying to build this up as, hey, you know, we're, we're you know, the, the, the whole staged fight thing that nobody really likes. But if you're going to do that, you have to re- expect some repercussions. So, is it do does Toronto send their toughest guy, Billy Holstrauser, probably to go and grab Fraze, or do they have a guy that's you know in Fraze's weight class to go grab him? And if it is, who's that guy? Yeah, I don't even know where you would put Fraser in, like what which weight class you'd put. I don't know. Like you might know better him being you yeah. know a West. I don't know if he's fought before or if uh, what you can do my big thing though is i think if you want to talk about like a, a stage fight or something to get over like and i think that's what's going to happen i think they're going to want to get these get it over with right away get it over with right so i don't know what's going to how they're going to address that situation but i can almost guarantee you early on in the game what is it february 12th i think we were saying yeah february they play? yeah i think we see priolo and oh, Billy House thousand percent there. dude like almost right off the draw they, they they gear down, beat the snot out of each other, and then let the game get yeah, going. Yeah, that that I see more more likely. Like I still think at some point someone's gonna grab phrase and take a few shots. Hundred percent. I mean, I don't. Brad 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 Cree and Sheldon Birds both tried to do it at the well, same time. At the end, see, I don't know if they really tried though. You know, like Burnsy ran him up into the glass and just like was probably just talking to him, and then Cree got in. Like no one really tried to like quickly shed his bucket and pump him. I think once he, once they were on the ground, it looked like Cree did, but I mean that's when there was a big, huge a gathering. So at that yeah. point, it's like, okay, like, can you really go at this point, or is it just a massive melee? But right? then you so. get, but then you know, it, you get Cree or um, you get Billy grabbing Leo Sturos and Jordan, Jordan Sturos. Sorry, Jordan Sturos, and luckily he was able to cover up for most of it because there was some hellacious rights and yeah. lefts being chucked but that that's my issue and it's it's steve priola was indeed in the box like he could have waited he could have had priola at any point in that time but he waited so priola couldn't get to him because he was in the box and he grabs young jordan stirrups it yeah. just the optics from that vantage point just doesn't look good no but if you're trying to send a message and you're trying to be that guy, then that's what you do. And so I do believe that's why we're definitely going to see Prio and Billy February 12th. 
it's it's going to happen and and you can say like you know there's no more fighting in the game anymore and this is something that they're trying to get rid of and yeah that is true but at this end of the day there is still this part of the game that a i think still needs to happen you still have to you know govern each other through stuff like this yeah and if you don't, you're going to get dirty stuff. Like you're going to get more headshots. You're going to get more, more cheap shots. You're going to get the play that you arguably you definitely don't want in the game is is going to happen. Yeah. So I think, and like we said, I think there's going to be a fight at the start of the game. They're going to scrap and it's okay. Boom. There we go. We got it out of the way. Now let's play the game. But like you said, there's still going to be that intensity because it's those two teams playing. We might see another fight, uh, but that one might come a little bit more organically throughout the night. But to say that the Buffalo Bandits Toronto Rock rivalry is well and alive would be an absolute <laughs> understatement. Yeah. Bandits are now 3-0 and atop uh, the Eastern Division. Um, and... They got Albany this weekend, which will be uh, a big game for both teams. Um, two more games to go from last weekend. Uh, let's go San Diego, Panther City. And this was a crazy one, more so for the fact that it was <laughs> within two hours before opening faceoff, it gets released that both Kevin Orleman and Frank Shuliano, the projected starters for the game, were both placed on the COVID protocol list. Neither were going to be able to play. So that promotes... Uh, Nick Damu to the starting role for Panther City going up against his old team. And then it puts Chris O'Riglieri, a 19-year-old, before, born, I think, December 3rd, 2002, uh, into the starting role. And Moose Winery, who's an American kid who's never suited up for National Lacrosse League game as a, and is a rookie, into the backup role. And it was just madness before the game even started and then we find out as sort of the game went on that panther city didn't even have a backup their backup didn't travel because it was a road game so they didn't take their third goal and so now it's and this is i was talking with um terry dennett our junior a coach and he was talking with one of our players that's on that team liam phillips they're now going to start flying all their practice guys to all of their games because we just don't know when a guy's not going to be able to play and you can't afford to lose a guy. Yeah. Um, so, and you can't afford to, you know, play a game down a guy. So that's something that we might see changing more and more with teams. They start going to fly all their practice players and all their roster players just because you don't know who's going to catch COVID when, but so that sort of turned that whole game on its access. And we are all like, Oh, San Diego is going to absolutely pump Panther City. It's going to be a cakewalk. No big deal. No Frank. No Kaorly. We get a 19-year-old going up against a guy who's played some games. And Ulrig looked a little nervous. He kind of was shell-shocked, as you would expect, as a kid seeing his first ever pro action. But he settled in. And his team settled in. And the flow of the game started to go. And it turned out to be one of the most entertaining games of the weekend. And it ended up being the fact purely that Dane Doby was not going to let that kid lose his first ever game. Yeah. And that's, you absolutely knew that was, was the message, um, you know, in the room. 
when he was out of the room, they said, we're going to battle for this kid. He's not losing this game. We're not thrown to the wolves boys. Like we're not mailing this in. We're winning this game. And boy, what we're seeing from Dane Doby is unbelievable stuff, man. Like he's showing zero signs of slowing down. Like he is, he might be better than he was in his MVP season. The last time, you know, we, we saw him and, or two seasons ago, uh, like it, 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 he is unbelievable. The goals he's scoring, it's not just, you know, catch release on the inside, you know, outside shots. He's scoring all oh. different kinds of ways, disgusting goals. Like there's no idea. And, and the best thing that I love, like I absolutely love about this is now all these field lacrosse fans on Twitter that are now picking up the game um, of box lacrosse are falling in love with this guy and they had no idea who he was about mm-hmm. a month ago. Well, they hated him because they only knew he was <laughs> from Calgary. He's the Calgary guy. Yeah. And then now everyone is all aboard. Oh. Like, like you, anytime San Diego plays, you refresh your, your timeline. If you're following all the folks on, uh, on lacrosse Twitter, they are just going off about Dobes and they should. I mean, another seven-point performance, five goals, like, just ridiculous. But to go to Ulrig real quick, you know, 29 saves, like, on the game sheet, like, not the most impressive win by any stretch, but the fact that he's a 19-year-old kid, got thrown in, thrown in last minute, um, like you said, looked, looked pretty shaky off, off the hop, but he settled in, and this is going to be a kid that is going to have a very long NLL career. Uh, he's got the body. He's got the build. He's a, you know, he plays his angles well. He's athletic and surprise, surprise, another great goalie factory out of Orangeville. And I don't know if we see him again for the rest of the year. We probably don't Mm -hmm. unless something like this happens again, but at least now they know, Hey, if we ever get to a point where we need to throw him into a game, they can trust him. Yeah. You know, this, this kid, he can play right now. He's not an NLL starter right now. He will be. Um, maybe sooner rather than later, uh, but good on him, man. That was awesome to see. That was probably one of the best stories of the year, and I don't know if we're going to talk this too often because it was really cool to see. A lot of good storylines coming out of this past weekend, um, but from a goalie perspective, um, not the greatest goaltending showing from three of four in the Vancouver-Colorado game. Um, Dylan Ward, Pulled after three minutes and 40 seconds, two saves, seven shots, five goals against. It equates to an 81.82 goals against average and a 0.26 save percentage. Now, obviously a little skewed, but it was not Dylan Ward's best. Probably one of the worst performances I've ever seen from Dylan Ward. But you just mentioned, if you can, in a situation have to put your backup in and be able to rely on him. Anything is possible. Quote Kevin Garnett. (laughs) Tyler Carlson came in and just kind of, you know, you didn't know the way it seemed after, you know, they put him in the first time, get scored on, comes back in and like, okay, he's going to go the distance. It's his game. But you just had this sense that, Sure. Boom. They didn't get off to a hot start. They can forget about that. All they got to do is just get the next one and then get the next one. 
and then get the next one. And slowly just start to build that momentum. Just forget about it. Whatever. You're down 7 nothing. Forget about it. You're down 10-2. Who cares? Just continue to do the things that make that team work. And that's hard work. That's get loose balls. That's move the ball. And once they started winning face-offs and, and winning those loose ball battles and actually getting offensive chances, because they didn't have many in the first first quarter maybe at all and once you kind of saw them starting to chip away you just kind of knew that okay the next goal is a big goal and then the next one was a big goal and we were talking about it as we were chatting what was it the the 10-5 goal that McBride scored I can't remember yeah. who scored it and we were like oh if they would have scored that goal or I think we took it to 11-5 maybe we we're like oh if they would have scored that goal it would have been 10-6 it would be a four-goal game with five minutes left in the in the half. They'd have been in a great spot. And we're like, oh, they gave up that goal. And the whole time, we're like, oh, remember if they wouldn't have scored that goal. But in speaking with some guys on that Mammoth team, they never lost faith. They just believed in themselves. And then once they started getting to Bouquet, which teams are starting to have a little more success doing, they just knew that if what they were doing was working, they could get themselves back in this game. And I don't think anybody would have thought they would have come all the way back to win that game, but Oh my goodness, what a energy would have been in that room after that win. Like that was, they came back from Rochester against Rochester. I think they're down like eight, two or something like that in that last game of the COVID shortened season or the before COVID shut everything down. They came back from being down early in that game too. So it's not something we're not used to seeing from Colorado, maybe alarming that we continue to see it. But when your goalie shits the bed and you can bring in your backup and you can hold the fort and you can win a game like that, that is huge for your team. 18, seven, the shots in that first <laughs> nine two the score. Um, it, it, it would be so easy just to pack it in and just say, all right, boys, this wasn't our night. Like, you know what, well, we're going to pack it in. Roxy's calling our name after the game. Like, <laughs> let's, let's just, let's just have a night here, fellas. And, but no, instead they, they dig deep, they find a way. And like you said, they have that belief in them because this did seem eerily eerily similar to that last game before the COVID shutdown which I watched in the airport uh, I was flying out of Halifax I remember it so vividly sitting in the airport just I turned the game off because I was like oh this thing's over and then just seeing updates on Twitter I was like okay I gotta put this thing back on <laughs> um, but and it just kept snowballing and they kept falling oh. back and that's what they did here and like listening to that interview after with ryan lee like he just kept chuckling the whole time like he yeah. was laughing like like it's just like they're just they were so happy and like you you can believe it because it's like you have that belief the whole time but at the same time you're like you know holy shit boys we did it like we we, yeah. we we clawed back and i think a big part of that motivation is and i i don't know if it needed to be said or it they just probably knew it like how many times has that team been bailed out by by dylan ward yeah. Like how many yeah. times has he saved their asses? So they probably were thinking like, you know what, boys, like it's time for us to bail out our goalies. Like, you know, Dill, Dill's done this a ton of times. Like 
it's our time now to let, let's let's get back into this thing. We know it. We trust trust it, and that's exactly what they did. And it, it was an unbelievable game. It by far was not the most uh, aesthetically pleasing lacrosse game that I've ever watched by any stretch of the imagination, but it was entertaining. Uh, it was wild. It was weird. It was crazy. And I'll I'll throw something out here right now. Ooh. I know we've kind of already talked about it. Um, one of my favorite players to watch on the offensive side of the ball wasn't in the lineup. Zeddy, uh, Zeddy ball games. Zeddy ball game. What yeah. like that offense looked a lot better without him. And I'm not saying they're a better team without him because he's an unbelievable player, but uh, do you maybe consider trying to flip him or like, I don't know. I don't know. But like, like I said, I, I don't know. Like that offense looked really good. Is it yeah. the one-off? Is it just, you know what? Like, I know they're not going to trade him tomorrow. Like, that that's not it. But, like, if he comes back in the lineup and the offense kind of goes stagnant again, I think it's something you have to think of. Um, there's just some players that just similar to, like, what we were talking about earlier. Like, some players just don't fit in systems, and it doesn't work out well. And I don't know if that's the case with Williams, um, but that offense looked awesome. Like, looked awesome. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's they caught fire uh, against a team in Vancouver who didn't have their best defensive effort and – uh, bouquet wasn't great i don't know i think it's too early to say but it's something to think you know to have in the back of your mind um i'm certainly if i'm saskatchewan i'd be knocking on their door saying well if we're not going to use him we'll take him <laughs> you imagine him on that offense would you flip him for courier i you have to flip him for courier and something and? else and some other things <laughs> how about christian del bianco's tweet nothing awesome. about trading with Derek Keenan seems good and that first, all all of a sudden, you're just talking about boats and fishing. Next thing you know, you've traded five first rounders in the franchise into a toilet or something like that. Like just, yeah, it was amazing. It's so true, though. It's it so is. true. How many times? Uh, if I'm a GM, I would not have zero. Eric Keenan call me. Delete. Hang out. No, no, nope. Don't want it, Derek. Get your gypsy magic away from me. Um, <laughs> Alex Bouquet, twenty-one goal, uh, twenty-one saves on thirty-four shots. 13 goals against um, 18.9 goals against and a 0.618 save percentage. That's nothing to write home about either. No. And and, that has to be a concern for Vancouver. And now is it, is it just like Dylan Wards was a three minute and 40 second sample of just him having a real bad game. Didn't see it. Didn't have it was in and out in a flash. Alex Bouquet was just steady as he went throughout that whole game. But just after that first quarter, just didn't look comfortable. And Colorado had the book on him. And I don't know, like, am I putting too much in it? Is it just, is it just all that whole game was a juxtaposition of itself or should this be a concern? Put it this way, they've had enough confidence in him from the start of camp to now to, you know, not sign Eric Penny, mm-hmm. uh, you know, keep keep Fryer as their backup, um, you know, keep him in that game as long as he possibly could have. They have enough faith in him that I don't think they're saying, oh, man, we made the wrong choice. I think they're just saying, you know what, Bouquet had a bad game. This wasn't his night. He's going to be fine. And then the next day comes and you see Eric Penny stand on his head and get a win for Philly. Like obviously in the back of your head, you're thinking, ah, 
did we just make the wrong choice? Was that a bad play? But I just think that this management group, this coaching staff has so much faith in them. They've invested so much in, I'm not saying, you know, contract wise or anything, just, I think they've invested meaning letting Penny walk uh, and, and instilling all this confidence in them that they, they can't give up on them because of one bad game. Yeah. I, know, I, I completely agree. I, I just, it's just a little concerning when that team in the last two games have given up leads and he hasn't yeah. looked great. No, I, I, I totally. And I think there has to be con- some concern, but at the same time, if this is your guy, you got to believe in him yeah. and you, you've got to ride. I mean, that it's something that obviously Vancouver fans, I could see them absolutely freaking out right now, but um, his first two games that we saw at him, he was great. He was solid and still has a two on one record and his goals against is still at 10. Um, he's now sub uh, eight, which in save percentage, but I think there's gotta be some concern. Wouldn't he be two and two? Wouldn't, wouldn't he, did, did Fryer get that loss? Maybe. I mean, I'm also looking at the NLL stats on the website, which is a conversation for another day, but um, he, they have him down to two and one. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Fryer was charged with the loss. I probably should be two and two though, but who knows? Um, Regardless, um, you got to trust your guy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You said said right. They put all their faith in them, sticking with them. They're, they're, you know, taking him over Penny. Um, I, I think they're not going to shy away from him quite yet. Um, all right. Before we get to Steve Govett, as we wrap up uh, week six, um, Pat McAfee and Anson Carter tweeting about their experiences watching the National Lacrosse League. Um, this is huge because, as we've mentioned, the whole one of the greatest parts about being on linear television and being on TSN and being on ESPN is casual sports fans can stumble upon the National Lacrosse League and be like, holy crap, what is this? Why haven't I seen it? I'm going to stay here and watch for a bit. And both seem very enamored by it. Yeah, and I think, obviously, like Pat McAfee, 2.2 million followers on Twitter, uh, an unbelievable, successful um, YouTube and, and Sirius XM radio host, an electric personality, one of the best follows on Twitter if you're a sports fan, especially if you're a football fan. But, you know, you're just scrolling through Twitter, uh, watching the game, seeing, like, what everyone's saying, and then you just see that blue check mark and Pat McAfee show come across, and you're like, wait, what What did he just say? Yeah, he called them the Georgia Storm, and who cares? (laughs) The fact that you get all those impressions out of him, maybe someone else was like, oh, shoot, what is he talking about? Flips yeah. it on to the game. I'd be curious to see um, what the numbers are for that game. But I, I, I know it sucks for the teams hosting those afternoon games on a Saturday, especially at noon. But boy, that time slot for television is perfect. Right before any of the football games started, yeah. um, you have – it's super early in the morning on the West coast. So I, I know like what was it, nine o'clock for you. Yeah, nine o'clock guys. was great. You're rolling out of bed. Uh, the people here out in the East, you know, like I said, you, maybe you're just eating some lunch, getting ready to watch the football games, put on it. And that is exactly it. You said it, the casual sports fan that's just flicking through the channels. Let's see what's on ESPN. Uh, maybe it's the pregame show. Oh wait, no, it's this lacrosse game. Oh shoot. It's in the fourth quarter. This game's close. Yeah. Or, or, 
what the hell is this uh, that I'm watching? This is awesome. I'm yeah. going to watch this next week. Yeah. And, and when you get, you know, you know, like Anson Carter's a hockey guy. So he probably knows guys that played lacrosse and, and has connections. I know Jessica Berman reached out to him and he's like, how about, you know, the next time they're in Georgia, I think he said he lives down in Georgia. So I uh, might have to get him to a swarm game um, sometime soon, but yeah, it's just, it's little interactions like that um, that are huge for the national lacrosse league and will can allow us to have more conversations about different things and greater things and leads us to world stages, um, which is massive. One thing, um, one of the big conversations and talking points that started coming out over the last weekend. Um, Pat, where do you stand on the dunk? Uh, this one, I, honestly, like, I think the the jump over top of the net, like, that one I can see why people, like, are upset by but like the dunk where you jump across and kind of do like the wraparound like I, those are always the goals that like go viral or are picked up on 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 sports net and i know it drives a lot of the lacrosse purists mad but like those are the goals that that get a lot of views and it'd be kind of, for me it'd kind of be silly to ban the dunk and I do think it's annoying though. Like the one that's over top, like that one kind of, I could see why you want to get rid of that, but the diving goals are what sells. And I don't, if you take that away, like you're, you're taking away more visibility to the game. I, I, I don't know. Like I'm not passionate enough to be like, Oh, those are the best goals. Don't, don't get rid of it. And also mm-hmm. not on the other side where I'm tweeting out hashtag ban, ban the dunk. Like uh, for me, it's, it's, it's too much of a moot point. Like I, like I'm just not passionate enough about it. See, I, I always loved dunking the ball when I played, whether it was diving across the crease in front or doing it from behind. I just thought it added a, a, an extra weapon to your arsenal. I agree going up and over the top is almost dangerous because the goaltender's head's there and you can smack them off the head with your stick. Maybe a little soft take, but you know, that's, there's sticks around heads, which is always a little dangerous. But for me, and it's very sort of unclear in the rule books, is that 90% of the times when I see guys dunk the ball, they make contact with either the goalie or a post. Yeah. And in my understanding, that shouldn't be a goal. And it's not too often that a guy catches a ball and is able to get his hands far enough past the post that when he dunks it, that the head of his stick or the shaft of his stick doesn't touch the net or the goaltender. And it is very, you know, bang, bang kind of play. And it would take a real slow-mo replay to actually judge when the ball comes out of his stick and crosses the line before the head of his stick or the shaft of his stick hits the goalie or post, but I bet you, if you go back and look at the amount of dunks that have happened, the percentage of contact with the goal or goalie is quite high. And that I don't think in those instances, those goals should count. I think if you can dunk the posts are good crossbar, no good. That's, that's my issue. But then you technically don't really have to jump if you're just reaching for the post, right? At least the crossbar, you kind of had to go up and dunk it. So there, there's two trains of thought. Like you said, you love them or you hate them. 
they should be allowed, they shouldn't be allowed. But I think it just, if, if we called it cleaner, then there would be less goals scored that way because I just think more are actually um, contact with goal or increased violation, however you want to rule it. Yeah, I think if you ask the goalie, they probably want it, especially the one that's directly behind the net. Like a, a lot of the times it's, you know, you're getting rewarded just for being tall and, and athletic to right. be able to pull that move off, which sure it's a feat of athleticism. But you said, yeah, the goalies, sometimes they'll get the net pushed on their back. They get, they get whacked, they get axed. And it seems like the goalies seem to always get the short end of the stick when it comes to some of these um, rule changes. And I know a point of emphasis in the off season leading up to this, this was, they wanted to kind of watch those crease dives and start calling more goaltender interference. Yeah, and I think that's through the front of the net, though, right? Yes, that's what I was going to say, yeah. through the front, through the front of the net. Well, then why are you also not protecting the goalie in their most vulnerable position when it's behind them? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, I don't I know. Do. Something, yeah, something to think of. It, it, is, it is something, and like I said, I, it, it, I don't know if it's – case by case or how the referees have been told to to call that but it is very like the the what was the goal in the was it the Leclerc goal where he got the ball behind that God's rebound came and dunked it up over the top but like went up and over the top and like Bouquet had his arm across the post or across yeah. the crossbar there's no way he couldn't have made contact with it yeah exactly. so the, the, that's that's where I like if you can make a clean dunk and you can tuck it in without touching the net of the goalie, I'm all for it because you know that takes some actual skill other than just wrapping your stick as hard as you can around a pipe. Yeah, exactly. So um we're gonna Steve Govett here in a few minutes. The world lacks Steve Govett, Joe Sai, uh, a number of players, Paul Rabel, Brody Merrill. Uh, Lyle Thompson, Westberg, Audie Stotts, all in attendance. Um, the world champions have come to San Diego in 2023. And this is going to be a huge moment for the sport of lacrosse, obviously with working towards the ultimate goal of getting the sport back into the Olympics. Uh, this is a huge moment. And there was teases of some announcements going on, um, you know, through social media. None of us really knew what it was. And then, boom, it came out, and we're like, oh, man, this is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Joe Sy putting um, everything behind this, along with Steve Govett uh, and everybody involved. This is going to be an amazing spectacle. I can't wait. I think this is something that obviously has been in the works for a while. And, I mean, the two names that you said right there in Joe Sy and Steve Govett, you've got the two right people leading the way. I think it's great that it's in San Diego. It's not exactly super close to LA where the Olympics are. And that's, you know, fingers crossed where we hope to have the, you know, the first games played in the Olympics uh, for lacrosse in a very long time. Uh, but this is the perfect lead up, a perfect showcase um, for those people that, you know, aren't lacrosse fans, but also at the same time, it's going to be a celebration of lacrosse. Uh, in San Diego, a city, an area in the United States where all facets of the game of lacrosse are growing. And I think this is going to be something really cool. Um, so just to catch people up, this was originally supposed to be in Coquitlam, yes. but obviously due to COVID, uh, it got delayed. But the run of world events and championships that we're going to have 
this year is going to be phenomenal. So June 29th, um, you have the Women's World Championships in Towson. Uh, July 7th, you have the World Games in Birmingham, where sixes is really going to be displayed to the world for real. Uh, then you have the 2022 Men's U21 uh, in Limerick, August 10th. That was, you know, was supposed to be the U19s. They made it the U21s just to give those kids an extra shot. Um, so that happens. Then you get the Super Sixes event in Sparks, Maryland in October. Like, this is going to be a hell of a year for international lacrosse starting in June. And that's kind of the way you want it to, right? Like this, we're leading close up to the, you know, the, the time that we could potentially have lacrosse, you know, in the Olympics. And I also kind of like that we're still just not, you know, dropping everything and just focusing everything on sixes because at the end of the day, like that, that's still a very new um, game. And I know that's, the way that's the way that we're going to have to get into the Olympics is through sixes. So yes, we have to throw our resources at it. We have to play it. We have to have the best players in the world playing. We have to have our developing countries playing it. Um, but you still need to have, you know, the, the traditional game of lacrosse because that's, what's got us here. Um, that's what the true lacrosse players are. And that's still going to be, um, you know, something that's, you know, true lacrosse, regular lacrosse. Sorry. That's what they call it. Regular lacrosse. Regular lacrosse. Um, box lacrosse field lacrosse that's 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 not going anywhere sixes is just a new discipline of the game um and i think it's important that we just don't neglect you know the 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 women's 19 world championships like you said the under 20 uh what is it 21 you said u21 men's yeah yeah u21 men's like it's important that these guys still get an and girls get a chance to compete uh and don't lose out on an opportunity that you know they're never going to have ever again yeah, and I, I agree that we can't just say sixes is the only thing we're going to do. There, there's exactly. so much more to world lacrosse than just sixes. Um, and I know everybody involved is doing everything they can to, to keep world lacrosse relevant, whether it be, you know, the world indoors, whether it be the, the world outdoor championships, whether it be U19, men's, women's, whatever it may be. These championships are going to be a huge part of continually growing world lacrosse to get us to that stage of the Olympics. And our next guest, Steve Govett, has been a big part of that. He and Joe Sai were on hand to push the event and welcome the world to San Diego as the World Games in 2023 are coming to town. Joined now by Steve Govett, President Governor of the San Diego Seals, um, part of World Lax, um, friend of the show. Um, before we get into World Games, where do you stand on the dunk in the National Lacrosse League? I think it's one of the most exciting plays in the game. And I know that the, the, the dunk is getting a bad rap right now by a lot of people, but I think the intention of the competition committee, because one of the uh, superlatives that you didn't mention was my job as the chairman of the competition committee. Oh, my bad. Crossley, right? <laughs> Very important. Um, when you go back in history, um, the you, you used to not be able to score from behind the goal, right? Right. And one of the conversations, and this was, I want to tell you that this was probably like, 040506 in around that timeline is that one of the most exciting plays in the history of lacrosse was the air gate. 
right? Now, granted, it was much more exciting when he did it against UPenn uh, on, a, on a field goal with a big round crease, but nonetheless, still pretty exciting. I do remember, you know, as the rule changed, and I'll tell you a little bit about that, but, but guys like Drew Westervelt, you know, jumping, you know, 12 feet in the air and dunking that ball on the opposite side of the goal um, goals like, and I, and I go back to Sean Pollock who scored a goal. I'll never forget the goal he scored kind of jumping and he's not a huge guy, right. But jumping from the kind of the opposite side of the crease all the way across and, and putting it in. And so ultimately what we talked about was it's one of the most exciting goals in the game. Why not leave it in goal scoring is a priority for the national cross league goalies are big nets are small. Um, as we try to grow the game and develop the game in the U.S., um, why would you take an exciting opportunity to put a ball in the net and take away that exciting opportunity for a fan to cheer? Because what we all need to remember is the reason we're in this process is to entertain people. And that is an entertaining goal, regardless of whether you know certain players think it's boring. Um, the other thing that it does with big goalies and little nets is it makes goaltenders respect a player behind the net, which means he's got a back in to make that save, which means a player with the ball behind the net that can feed out front um, can hit that shooter. And the goalies have to react to that, providing again, more opportunity for scoring. So look, scoring is at a priority for us. We, you know, we make no kind of bones about it. We don't apologize for that. That's why you have kind of some la uh, latitude for referees to call moving picks, right? And we don't just play like a basketball pick or a, you know, field lacrosse pick. We, we allow some latitude for collisions. Um, and, you know, and it, it provides for a very difficult call for officials and a bit of a gray area for people watching. But ultimately, it's to provide an advantage to the offensive players who, by the way, 80% of the time they go down the floor don't score. Uh, and so 80% of the time in a possession, fans don't get to let loose and jump up and down and scream and yell and, <laughs> and do the things that we allow them to do. And we want them to pay tickets or pay, you know, pay for their tickets to do. So that's the philosophy. Um, I, so th there's a gray area. You talked about sort of that gray area and leniency of allowing those moving picks. And we were just talking about this on dunks. I noticed that, the majority of those dunks, a player makes contact with the goalie when it happens, whether it's hitting with a shoulder or the stick hitting the post as they try to dunk that ball in. Is that not goaltender interference or crease violation? Or is that too much of a gray area and too minute of a fraction of call? Uh, no, I think you bring up a great point. And ultimately, he's not supposed to make contact with the goalie. Right. Uh, the shooter's not supposed to contact the goalie in any way. And, and he is allowed to contact the goal with his stick. He is he's not necessarily, a, he's not necessarily allowed to contact the goaltender. So right. again, latitude to the offensive yeah. player because of a spectacular play that, you know, uh, we want to keep in the game. And, and so, you know, uh, I, I do think that, you know, some guys think it's, it's become cliche and a little boring at points and it's now, um, and you guys have probably already talked about all this, but it, it's now part of a lexicon of plays that, that coaches put into, you know, their, their process. Um, 
And sometimes some people might call it a cheap goal. But I also remember back in the day when people called the hidden ball trick a cheap goal. Um, you know, and and ultimately, whenever whenever it happens, it always makes a top 10. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think, again, the essence of let's not take ourselves too seriously. We're trying to entertain people, fellas. That's the point. Yeah. And once, you know, it's great competition. It's still a great game. And there's lots of things that can be, you know, can be held up as an example of why this sport is a quality opportunity for, um, you know, for entertainment. And, and I think that's one of them. And, and I think, you know, we sometimes take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I get it. You got to keep the integrity of the sport and the integrity of the game. But I think we find ourselves too many times trying to please and appease the traditional lacrosse fan and try to lose sight that at the end of the day, we're trying to grow this game. We're trying to bring in the casual sports fan into it. And like you said, these dunk goals, when it happens nine times out of 10 in the morning, the next day you're watching ESPN, it's on the top 10. So why are we taking away the opportunity? opportunity with a, a crazy feat of athleticism that gets eyeballs on the game so i just think that's something that a lot of the purists um and I, i'm a part of it i know we're all a part of it but at the same time we we also have to think about the non-traditional sports fans the non-traditional lacrosse fan. well hey look i'm a fan right i'm a traditionalist if you will um and i know there are lots of people out there but i think what we need to get caught or not get caught up in is is one of the 200 fans that goes to Queen Park, Queens Park every Thursday night, or you know, one of the fans that goes to Brooklyn Sports, you know, Brooklyn Sports Arena. Like, are they really the people we're trying to attract? Because last exactly. time I checked, they've been in the game for 40 years and are not going away. <laughs> yeah. So exactly, if we piss them off, sorry, <laughs> but they ain't going anywhere. I'm just uh, saying, come on, man, we can, yeah. we have to evolve. If you were not entertained by Chase Fraser. Um, you have no heartbeat this past weekend. Come on. These guys are a massively entertaining. Our game is a massively entertaining product. And you know what? I, I, I have this great opportunity to serve on this competition committee where every team in the league is represented and every GM is on that call and everybody gets a voice. And you know what? That wasn't always the case, but there's some really hardworking people, including, and at the forefront of all that, Brian Lemon, who is, who is really the caretaker for our game. And you know what? He's the best in the business. He does an amazing job. He holds referees accountable. Our referees are literally the best in the game and they do an amazing job and they deserve a ton of credit right now, especially in the context of how they are navigating a very difficult situation with border crossing and the rest of it. And, and you know what? They're precious to us. And I think they do a fantastic job. Yeah, do they make mistakes? Sure they do. I make a mistake coming to work every day sometimes, like I miss a turn or something, and nobody is yelling and screaming at me. So I'll defend these referees, and I'll also defend the guys that look at the game. And I, I, I can look every one of those guys on this competition committee in the eye and tell you that they have the best interest of our product at heart, and they work their tails off. We meet weekly, right? Like there's no other lacrosse – you know, rules committee, if you will, in the world on any level that meets as much, spends as much time and is as full time as us that are looking at the best interests of the game. And so, 
a uh, lot of credit to those guys and, and you, you know, many of them, they're all friends of the game and friends of your show. Um, and we don't always agree on everything, but you know what, there's healthy discourse and really quality, good people that care about the national lacrosse league that have spent a ton of time on this. And you know what, are we going to get it right every time? No, but the players adapt and the, it's a fantastic product. And I, you know, Chase Fraser to Curtis Dixon to every goaltender, every Dane Doby, every, all these guys that are playing every week, they're putting on an unbelievable show. It would be nice if we had 10,000 people in every building and, you know, watch this event. But, you know, God bless. We're on ESPN now and we're on TSN now. And, you know, what? all efforts towards growing the game. So, um what a rant. You guys got me going today. I love it. Fired up today. All because I asked you about a dunk. I know. Why did you ask? Sorry. Um, before we get to the, the world championships and everything that's going on, um, now that we're sort of on this NLL tangent, um, as a league, how are we handling this COVID epidemic and, and everything that we've gone through? Um, from your perspective, how have we done? Um. Given all of the circumstances at hand, with all of the variables in order to make a decision, um, it has not been an easy process. It evolves daily. Uh, it is a challenge that uh, there are times when we all question why and where and what we're doing. Um, but when you talk about a league that does not have the let's call it the political muscle to move agencies of the government to a position of uh, respect for our game and respect for our, our kind of processes. We are at the mercy of governmental agencies that are making decisions beyond our control. Um, so the challenge and I think every organization has been up for the challenge and just as it is in normal times, every organization is faced with different factors. Uh, and so I would say each and every group within the teams and the governors and the ownerships of teams uh, and, the, and the GMs and the, and the you're making decisions with not all the information, sometimes in the dark, um, sometimes with a changing landscape, shifting sands, if you will. And I think they're doing an amazing job to do that. Uh, I think at the Board of Governors level, you have a, a number of motivated owners, uh, an amazing group of governors that care so much about this product and are passionate about it, uh, that make decisions in real time with information that is easily, you know, kind of Monday morning quarterbacked after the fact by you guys. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't mean you guys specifically, but you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, and at the end of the day, question the decisions that are made. Uh, and the bottom line is you got a lot of really good people trying to do really good work in real time with very difficult circumstances. So if I had to give us a grade, I would give us a, uh, probably a B plus a minus on, on how we're affecting it. And I think, um, could we be better? Absolutely. But I know our office, um, you know, with a young man that's our assistant GM and Teddy, you know, uh, Sean Walsh, um, this is a guy that's super passionate, works tirelessly around the clock, and I'm not kidding, around the clock, 
um, who is be, who is mentally taxed right now. Uh, and I, I give him all the credit in the world and, uh, and, and just kind of bow down to appreciation for how he works and what he does. But, um, yeah, man, it's hard times. It is. Um, good times though. Uh, in 2023, uh, yourself, Joe Sai, a number of players on hand, uh, to welcome the world championships of lacrosse to San Diego. How did this all come about? Was this a long process? Was this just kind of the manifestation of uh, no world games in Coquitlam? Uh, yeah, so yes, it's been a long process and obviously delayed because this event was supposed to take place in 2022. Um, on the heels of Netanya Israel in, in 2018, uh, the next world games uh, were awarded to Coquitlam. Uh, there was a movement and a lot of discussion in and around the world across board. And then ultimately uh, with Joe, uh, myself, Jim Schur, uh, with a, a significant passion towards showcasing our sport in the shadow of the LA 2028 20, uh, Olympic Games to put the games within a proximity of the IOC and the LA organizing committee and Casey Wasserman uh, in Southern California on a grander stage than the Coquitlam venue could uh, supply for us. So uh, it was decided a year ago, uh, but not announced because of the COVID kind of process as to when we could make this thing happen. And we didn't want to make an announcement and then announce that we were postponing. Um, so yeah, it's been a long process. Uh, a lot of work has been done, you know, as you saw by some of the pictures, um, on Monday, you know, the, the venue is actually still under construction. Um, the venue will be just spectacular, uh, and a really cool, uh, really cool opportunity. And, and for those of you guys that, that know, like Denver, London, Ontario in 06, uh, Baltimore in 98, um, Denver in 2014, even Netanya in 2018, we faced the, it's that weird time of year where you face thunderstorms almost everywhere <laughs> west of the Rockies, sorry, <laughs> east of the Rockies, east right? Rocky, yeah. And even into, into Netanya, Israel, where the weather affects games. And I'm, I'm proud to tell you that San Diego in July, you know, June and July, normally doesn't get weather events that will cause us to uh, postpone games. And so when you're moving into an area for media coverage and television broadcasting, which we're excited that we're about to announce, we'll, we'll announce a deal for 2023 San Diego uh, in the not too distant future with regards to broadcast coverage. Um, and, th and that will, that's going to be a huge part of bringing the game to the world and being the largest globally broadcasted television lacrosse event in our history. Amazing. Uh, and then ultimately the ability to continue to showcase for the IOC uh, and, and Casey Wasserman and the, and the 2028 LA organizing committees uh, for the Olympic game. So uh, pretty exciting and not to mention, and I don't know if you know this, but 2028, if lacrosse gets in, not necessarily they're they're exploring venues that go far beyond kind of the traditional look uh 
Los Angeles venue. So they'll look at Vegas. They'll look at San Diego. They'll look at Phoenix. They'll look at other venues for the 28 games, not unlike Vancouver, right, for the 2010 Winter Olympics where a lot of it was up in, you know, Whistler and, and, and those types of things. So it will grow outwardly to, to find venues. So you could find a, a, you know, a lacrosse venue in San Diego for the 2028 LA games. Now I, I'm not announcing anything. I'm just merely saying speculatively that could happen. There's a lot of emphasis right now on, on the, the sixes. And it seems that's a, you know, if the game is going to get into the Olympics, sixes might be the avenue that it, it is going to get. How difficult is it to showcase the traditional field lacrosse game, but also keep in mind that, you know, sixes is still developed as a, is a, a game that is maybe built better for the Olympic games. Yeah, that's, it's a, that's an excellent question. I mean, it's kind of the key question, right? Is how do you make sure that the game itself is being showcased in a way that is quote unquote traditional uh, and, and showcases the best of our sport? Um, obviously, we all know that we love box lacrosse and that version of the game should be the Olympic version, you know, some of us, but there unfortunately isn't lacrosse boxes all over the world to develop those countries that can play and only, you know, give or take 30 to 40 of them play. Um, but truly the outdoor version of the game and the, and the tens or the elevens as, as we're starting to call them, uh, that's, that's kind of our, our bread and butter, if you will. Um, it's the traditional, showcase of the game of lacrosse and i think if you can fall in love with that uh fall in love with the you know watching the aussies get super excited and traveling so well and coming to their games and the aussie 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 and and watch the ugandans play and and you do that and and we can showcase that from that perspective and show great growth worldwide from our membership and then ultimately great and and special television broadcasting opportunities uh, I think it just paves the way, Pat, and, and I think it's, you know, understanding the reasons why Sixes was created uh, is important to understand in the context of how it fits into the IOC's vision of sport uh, and how we had to adapt the game to make it consumable for the IOC. Um, you know, it's, they have a zero-sum game with regards to housing, for the Olympics. So yeah, we don't, we have to reduce the rosters. We have to reduce the number of players. We have to make this game kind of um, gender agnostic so that it's the same game being played across both genders. Uh, it's important. That's super important for the Olympic yeah. kind of vision. Uh, and so, you know what, so many things and so many parts of why we're playing the game that we're playing uh, with sixes uh, came about through kind of what the Olympic vision is. When you look at this being, you know, you mentioned the largest broadcast of, of a world championships ever, uh, but it's going to probably most likely have the most countries ever. And every time we do this, we're just adding more and more and more, you know, from when you started to where we are now, how just blown away are you with how quickly lacrosse actually has grown? Yeah. So point of a clarification, Teddy, in this world games in 2023 and then moving beyond, um, this world games will only be 30 nations. Oh, okay. And the reason 30 is because to begin to put more emphasis on the continental qualifiers that are just beginning, just starting to be created, 
uh, the continental qualifiers will then populate those 30 countries. And so what they've done is they've created a top 10 from mm -hmm. the Netanya games in 18. That top 10 is set. And then there'll be qualifiers um, for uh, the rest of the 20 teams. Now, for example, the uh, Asian Pacific group, right? The APLU, Asian Pacific Lacrosse, they'll have a qualifier, but Australia and Japan have already qualified in the top 10. So they won't have to go through that process. So there are four spots available for the eight teams that come out of Asia. Great, okay. So Philippines, New Zealand, uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, mainland China, uh, Thai, uh, did I say Thailand? Um, yeah. yeah. So, mu so much like the, like they do in World Cup soccer, you know, you have your teams that are automatically qualified, and they just do continental regional qualifying. Yeah, and the goal is to get more or closer to a true world championship with qualifi qualifiers, and then ultimately a championship at the at the World Games. But we still have, as you guys know, a massive disparity between. Um, kind of the drop-off, right, of the top probably four, five countries, maybe the top three, down to the next level in the top, you know, kind of four through ten, and then beyond that, right? So uh, we still are playing some catch-up. They're also working on the eligibility rules. So uh, as you guys have probably heard, you know, if you had any level of, and I'm not going to recite the rule book, but any level of kind of um, – grand parental engagement with a country you could be eligible to play uh and so what we're trying to get away from is that whole process where north american players are populating a bunch of world teams mm -hmm. we're trying to get to a point where that's very indigenous to those teams and, and natives um native you know kind of countries and players are playing from those those teams and it's more representative but that's going to take time it's going to take growth and grassroots and, and all the things that go with it um, you mentioned the word indigenous and just popped into my head. Um, where are, where, what's the process? Where are we at with, with trying to find a way for the Haudenosaunee to be in uh, with the Olympics? Yeah. So I will say at the onset, it's a massive priority. Yeah. Um, world lacrosse, the entire lacrosse community is galvanized around um, the Haudenosaunee being uh a key player in in showcasing the game that they brought us or the creator presented to them and then they present to us uh so it's a priority uh we work on it every day we talk about it every day uh we meet quite a lot um i am in a regular meeting on monday mornings six o'clock my time so i remember it <laughs> um but you know, it's it's a priority, and it's something that that we need to navigate. Uh, I will tell you, it's not an easy process, um, but you have motivated people that are pretty passionate about it on both sides of the ledger. Um, but there are some traditional constructs within the you know the IOC that make it a challenge. Um, and and I'll give you an example of the Maoris who play rugby in New Zealand. They didn't necessarily invent the game, but the way they play it, you would think they did. Um, but the Maoris represent New Zealand and the natives of that sport, um, you know, 
they developed the game. The Scottish play under, you know, Great Britain, but they invented golf, right? So there's there's examples from um, other sports that are indicative here, but I I can only say that we're working very diligently. Um, the selection, first of all, I think it it makes sense to say this if I can put it in terms of we haven't been invited to the party yet as a sport. And so you can't figure out who you're bringing to the party until you get the invitation, right? So there's steps in place that we won't be in that situation until somewhere 25, 26, um, where the decision will be made. It's actually like 24, 25, when they decide if lacrosse gets a chance to come in. And then it won't be until two years before that process, like 26, when you have to present to the IOC which countries are competing. So we have time, but it's it's a heavy lift. So I'll just leave it at that. It's, yeah. it's uh, I'd love to tell you that it's a slam dunk, um, but I do know there's lots of good people working on it. Um, I know Joe Tsai is engaged in this process. He's a massive advocate for it. We're obviously a massive advocate for um, our Haudenosaunee brothers in this and sisters. Um, there's there's challenges within their organization to make sure that we have gender equity uh, in both of their programs, right? So that we have a Haudenosaunee men and a Haudenosaunee women that are uh, equally represented. And, and so that's an important structure kind of in the, at the forefront. So there, as you can tell by a very long-winded answer, which is probably more me than them, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's not a simple issue. Mm -hmm. uh, I got two more for you. Um, Do you have time? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a world record show Pat, uh, for us this week, Steve. Um, but it's riveting. It always is. Absolutely. It always absolutely. is. Um, the impact of Joe Sai and all this, do people really understand how much he is doing for the game of lacrosse? No. Um, I think most lay people see him as an owner in the national lacrosse league, right? As a first and foremost, as an owner in, uh, you know, with the Brooklyn Nets and the NBA. Uh, but, but here you have, someone with such an amazing passion for the sport uh, who loves the players, loves the game, understands the intricacies of what we're doing, but has a global view uh, with his history, uh, you know, as a, an Asian businessman, um, a Canadian passport holder. Um, and, and the bottom line is, he is doing so much behind the scenes for the game. And it's not just about donating money. Uh, it's not just about writing the checkbook. Um, and he does put his money where his mouth is um, constantly, but he also engages, he's involved. He's um, he meets regularly with Jim Scher from world lacrosse. He's um, he's watching trends. He's having influence and conversation with, you know, Casey Wasserman and television and, you know, like he's one of the only guys in the sport of lacrosse that can pick up the phone and anyone, everyone in the world will answer, including Justin Trudeau, right. Including um, other 
business dignitaries, other broadcast dignitaries. Uh, so I'm super proud to work with the guy. Uh, I've seen it firsthand. Um, second billionaire that I've had the opportunity to bring into lacrosse. Um, and this one is far more engaged than the first one. <laughs> well, he's going to have another task coming up with, with Vegas and another expansion team. And you've been a part of two very successful expansion teams in the national lacrosse league. I know it's hard to boil down in just a couple of points, but what would you say is the secret formula to successfully launching a new NLL franchise? Wow. Um, tough question. And, and again, partly, I guess the measure of success is arbitrary, right? And right. why, how are, how or why are you successful? And obviously Colorado was successful, um, not necessarily as an expansion team, but as a relocation to, you know, the first team west of the Mississippi at the time in 02. Um, it's amazing. Colorado moved from Washington, D.C. in the summer of 02, the same year Chris O'Riglieri was born. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's I know. Crazy, right? Um, anyway, so the point, I, I guess, Pat, um, there's no short answer, but I will, you know, anecdotally share a story. Um, Gary Gate and I were very involved in the Washington Power. Um, obviously, I was the GM president of that team, and Gary was the captain and and, uh, and a part owner in the team and, and all that type of stuff. And one of the things that even in the struggles of the Washington Power financially, uh, where we didn't have really, as they say, a pot to piss in, um, Gary Gate always said the first thing we do is treat the players right. We treat the players like professionals and they will deliver for you. And that kind of philosophy has carried with me um, always. And it carried with us Colorado. And, you know, the, I, I, I believe, you know, for the most part, every guy that ever played there would tell you the stories. Um, there's not all the positive stories. There's, you know, there's, there's other stories. Um, but I think as you walk, as, as I walked through kind of a legacy behind me of whether success or not um, I think taking care of the players is always at the forefront and making sure that the people that you work with and around are engaged and excited and passionate about what we do and what the vision is and setting the vision for our future and striving every day to figure out how to get there um, and and then the other kind of little anecdote and Teddy's heard this as he worked for me briefly um, a couple times but details matter and the details of the national lacrosse league and the details of world lacrosse and the details matter and making sure that our forward facing product um, globally or North American centric, that the little things matter. And so I think we've always strived in the organizations that I've had the pleasure to be involved with is, um, you know, try and do the little things well. And if you do the little things well and you do a lot of the little things well, ultimately you'll have a positive outcome. And we have work to do here in San Diego. We have to sell tickets. And um, I wake up every day with Josh Gross trying to figure out how to crack that nut. Um, last one for you. You mentioned the, the outdoor stadium um, that you guys are building for the World Games. Uh, how quickly, once that built, um, did the Seals play an outdoor game? 
So to be fair, Teddy, San Diego State University is building that stadium. Not uh. <laughs> so um, it is going to be the San Diego State football stadium. It's a 35,000 seat stadium. It's under construction. They will play their first game uh, this co- upcoming year here in 2022 uh, in, in the fall. Uh, so they have a tall task to get that thing done, but they're, they're on amazingly right for a stadium. They're on budget and they're on schedule. So uh, pretty excited to see that. Uh, that's one of the venues. So San Diego state will play host uh, to the opening ceremonies and a marquee game to start it off. And then they'll play host to the semifinals finals at the end. Uh, bookend in the middle, the showcase and marquee games will be played at University of San Diego, uh, which is not too far from, from Snapdragon Stadium, where the big events will take place. And then uh, the teams will reside for other games on the campus at SDSU, on the campus at USD, and then potentially another college uh, that, that we are working closely with on some other projects, um, UCSD, University of California at San Diego. Uh, they have some pretty, pretty spectacular facilities that will open up. And really, this is not just about a celebration of 30 teams playing the games. This is youth tournaments, master's tournaments, senior, you know, like grandmasters, uh, recruiting tournaments that we're talking about. Um, just a, a ton of activity and a true festival for the sport. So potentially a B tournament for those teams that are beyond the 30 because right now we're at 75 or so members in the, in world lacrosse. And so what else do we do for the Saudi Arabians, you know, or, or the Vietnamese, you know, teams that have kind of just joined us, right. Portugal and, and a number of others. So um, we're talking about how to serve them, but yeah, it's uh, it's a showcase of a, a large opportunity. So um, pretty excited about all that. So no to an outdoor game for this year. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I have already had conversations with the athletic director at San Diego state about how we can set up like a carrier dome setup. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. play a game in the end zone of the stadium. So how fast, I don't know, but Miramar was a really cool. Oh game. man. I wish that happened. And COVID kind of snipped us on that one. And then we had another idea to do it on the strand, which would be right on the, on the beach itself. Mm. um which we think would be cool so we got a lot of ideas um we wanted to take this year um in the you know kind of this covid structure and not bite off too much so stay tuned teddy understood stay tuned i think there's lots of fun stuff that we're planning and and i think people will be excited but uh yeah we won't do a vegas game this year but we'll do a vegas game next year yeah you know (laughs) hey um You, you, you might have some information. Uh, what are they going to be called? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Steve, I appreciate you, my brother. Uh, congratulations on everything uh, with the World Championships and all the success with the Seals. Um, hopefully, uh, we can continue playing games. We can continue having these conversations. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, fellas. We'll, uh, we'll have a really long-winded conversation again next time. That was Steve Govett from the San Diego Seals and the 2023 World Lacrosse Championship Committee. Um, Some good stuff there. And you can hear how passionate Steve is 
And when you get leaders that are that passionate about the game and where it's going and where it can go, uh, you only want to follow. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with him too, it's not just, he's not just passionate about the NLL. Like he's passionate about all facets of the game. Like there's not too many people outside of his counterpart and Joe Sai that are like this involved at so many different levels. And, mm. um, you know what, like talking to him, like he joked a bunch of times about how long winded he was. And that's fine because, you know, he has so much to say about so many different things in lacrosse. Like I, obviously today's conversation was more or less about, you know, the world championship and where we see the Olympics go, but like, we didn't really touch all that much about San Diego sealed. We didn't talk anything about his career. Like, yeah. I mean, you could talk to him about anything lacrosse related and you could do, you know, a whole like two hour special on it. Mm -hmm. It's great. And, and we appreciate every time that he comes on and he's, you know, he's very candid and he's very open, much like Jamie yeah. Dalek when, yeah. when Jake and Brad had him on, um, you know, when we can have those people telling, you know, how they truly feel about the the way the sport is going um, can only help us get better. Um, so we're going to move on uh, again. Appreciate uh, Gov for coming on and giving us some time. Um, so now we're going to do a segment uh, for real or for show. Uh, we are indeed a quarter of the way through the season as crazy as it sounds, um, but we'll go quickly through the East and through the West and which teams we think are for real and which, te which teams we think are for show. So, Patty, in the East, who's for real? Well, I think you just have to quite frankly look at the one team near the top, Buffalo, no doubt. They're for real, um, top to bottom. I mean, I think there were some question marks some people had about their defense. Um, that is proving uh, that they are a legitimate defense. We know how good their offense is. And, well, Matt Vince is quietly putting together a goaltender of the, of the year performance. Man. I mean, any sort of hope uh, that Toronto had putting the ball in it, he, he put that to rest pretty quickly. So I'd say they are uh, no doubt uh, they're contenders. They're for real. I think Halifax, although it's a small sample size, it's been 36 days since we'll see them on Saturday that they played. Um, I think they're still for real from the two games that we saw. And then I think the next team that you can put in that for, for real right now is Philadelphia, um, you know, three and one. Uh, they did lose to Toronto, but they were missing Corey small, missing some key pieces. Uh, I, I think that next tier i don't know is there anyone else that you think no i think that, that those are my for reals and then i think you know rochester toronto albany georgia they're for now they're for now okay i'm not yeah. sold on them but obviously new york is for show right now obviously they haven't been without t um since their first couple of games they're gonna get him he's gonna be healthy let's see what that offense can do but I, i'm still not sold on their goaltending at all I just don't think they have it. I think they are for show up front and they just can't pack the punch um, to get them anywhere where they need to be until they resolve their goaltending issues. I do not see them being a contender whatsoever. And, and I guess, so those other teams, like you said, for now, Rochester, we need to see more, obviously, especially against elite teams, Georgia, same thing. Um, 
I think Albany, same thing. That Toronto, though, they're a team where I think we might be able to put them. Yeah, in they'll, they'll, they'll event. I would imagine all things being equal um, when they're full at strength, they're, they're, they're for real, right? They're for real. But we've, they, they've kind of struggled. They haven't had too many dominating games. Um, they haven't really been healthy completely all year. So I want them to show me what they can do. They're not for show. They're not quite for real yet for me. Yeah, I agree. And I, I talked about it and I don't want to take, give away too much of it on, I, I was back on um, coast to coast this week. And I said, you know what, like Toronto's lefty scoring and especially depth scoring is an absolute issue. I won't yeah. say exactly what I said, but I'll leave it at that. Wouldn't it have been nice if, if Jamie Dowick picked up the phone, called Panther City and said, we'll take we'll Ryan take Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could have been something that they could have done, but I don't know. Maybe there's someone else on the market that they can trade that's a lefty, or maybe they can convince Jones to come out and, yeah. and, and play, or maybe Jamie Dowick is trusting the process and thinks that, you know, they're built on that defense and that goaltending and the transition. Because realistically – their transition game hasn't been as good as we've seen it in years Correct. past. Correct. I think part of that might be because Challen Rogers has had to Big do time. so much Big time. that he doesn't quite have the gas to continually put, like he will play a full game. Don't get me wrong. Like that's not the issue, but when you're asking him to go play a shift to D run in transition, play a shift. Oh, he's going to lose some of that tempo as the game goes on. I think they need more from Latrell Harris coming out the back end. Um, I need, I need to see more from Adam J out the back end. Like these guys got to start pushing the ball and being effective. Um, and I just haven't seen it right now. Um, so out West, who's for real? Sandy, I'm going to go from the top again, San Diego. Absolutely for real. They are, I think this is their prove it game this week against Saskatchewan. I know Saskatchewan's record is, is one and three, but they're a better than a one and three team. If they can come out with a win, I think that's an exclamation mark that they have separated themselves as the best team um, in the West. Yeah. Call me crazy. Call me crazy here, Teddy. Call me crazy. Say who you think. Go ahead. I think, crazy, they're the only, I think they're right now the only team that I'm confident enough to say that they are for real. There's other teams that have too many question marks um, that are, could be in that for real, but they have to show me more. Yeah. I, you know what? I kind of had Colorado there uh, as for real, but um, I'm going to agree with you actually. Um, I don't think there are any other teams that are for real in the West. And that's not to say that, after this week or after next right. week, they just like, will you know, be. with Toronto, they could be up there. Vancouver, you know, they put a good performance in a couple weeks against Calgary. Sure. You can be for real. Calgary does it to Vancouver. Sure. You're for real. But I will say like the team that I, I'm most intrigued with, and I think I have been from even the, the off season is Saskatchewan just because everyone keeps saying like the window's closing. Well, this might be the last run with the team. Well, they're running out of time, yeah. but if they can figure things out, like if they go out this weekend and just beat the brakes off San Diego uh, and, and their offense looks good uh, and they get, you know, some scoring and transition and shoot looks solid. I think then you throw them in that category, but if they lose again, and they drop to one and four. Now it's, you're running out of time. Like now you can basically almost kiss the first seed in the West. Goodbye. Yeah. 
And now you're just worried about locking up, you know, a playoff spot. Making sure you're not, you know, bubbling on that bubble spot. Right, exactly. And down the stretch when you have maybe guys on COVID, when Mark Matthews, you know, God forbid he goes on COVID or, you know, church, you don't, you lose those buffer games. Now it's like, okay, we can't afford to, to drop a game against Panther city, or we can't afford to drop a game against Vancouver. Like that's now where it comes to this point where they have to start collecting wins now and they have to start figuring things out because say what you will about Panther city outside of that, everyone else right now in the West are very, very close. And you know what? I don't even really want to say Panther City is for show because outside of the Vancouver game, they've been in every lacrosse game. Yeah, yeah. You know, you lose to Philly 12-11 in overtime. You get, you know, the wheels beat off you in your home opener by Vancouver. The next game you take Colorado, you fall to them 8-7, and you lose in a shootout with San Diego by three. So – if they could get a solid goaltending performance and just kind of put all the pieces together, they could win some games. You know, they got New York this weekend and we'll talk about it a little bit in a little bit, but how did that go a little bit in a little bit? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not wrong. <laughs> it's we true. Will talk. <laughs> uh, but you know, they might be able to put some wins together. And I think Tracy Klusky has done a really good job with that team. Now they don't have Ryan Benash. Now they can just kind of focus on what they have. And let's see what this group can do. I really think that they're, for now, they're okay. Despite being 0-4, I still think they have the pieces to win a few games as this season goes on. I mean, that it's hard to argue that the way that you, you put it that way. But for me, they're, they're for show just because I don't see them being for real in terms of, of battling for a playoff spot. That that's the way I'm going to word it. Fair enough. That's the way I see it. But with that being said, the way they're playing, uh, the way that this team has been constructed, the way that the culture is being built, maybe they're not for real this year, uh, but they have a bright future uh, with a couple of pieces here and there. I mean, next year they, they get Randy Stotts, they get Jonathan Donville. That is going to be a very good team. That is going to be a very good team. And the fact that like Dodsey will be a second year guy within that group of those, some of those rookies coming in. So what the righties now turn into Stotts, Donville, Dodds, Dodds, Triolo, Triolo. (laughs) Now Triolo can actually play a position that like, you know, he's playing out of like, I'll be honest. He's doing, he's doing a great job, but right now he's playing as that number one, number two, righty. Now you put him in more of a a, a position to have long-term success as your fourth righty. I, I mean, that's a good team. That's a good offense. That's a very good right-hand side. Yeah, they need to obviously work on their lefty side. Big time. Um, big big time. time. You can address that in the draft. I don't know. Yeah. Like You can address that in the offseason. If, if, you, if you show that you're you're kind of moving forward and you're progressing and you can kind of lure some, a couple free agents, do well in the draft. Like, oh, they got Cuber coming in. Cuber is a guy that they drafted that he'll be coming yeah. in next year. There's a big lefty you can use. So, yeah, I, I just, I, yes, in the terms of are they for real or are they for not? Yeah, guess I don't see Panther City being a playoff team, but I just, I'm not ready to write them off as saying they're just, they're not very good. I think they're in a better position. I think they're in a better position than New York, even though New York has talent out the front. They have Jeff Teat. I think 
just wow. the pieces right now they have. I just think, I just think they're better. But we'll find out this weekend. Yeah, exactly. You'll find out exactly. this weekend. Um, okay, quickly because we have been rambling. Uh, team of the week. Um, we'll just kind of do one joint giant team. Uh, Ryan Lee went two and eight as Colorado just came back from obscurity to win that game. Uh, Lyle Thompson five and three. We just talked about him and, and how dominant he was. Dane Doby went five and two and just not allowing the O-rig to lose that game. But we don't give the D guys enough. Um, and I know you were absolutely enamored with Case and Tarbo and what he did this weekend. He was, I mean, and he wasn't the only one on that defense that, that really stood out to me, but he was the one that stood out the most. I think he finished with four cause turnovers. He was a machine on loose balls. He was pushing the ball in transition. And I finally saw that player that we saw at the world championships a couple of years ago uh, with, with the team, Eric Wall. Like he was unbelievable in that tournament. That's, you know, even in junior, I saw a lot of him as well. And, and he's a guy that I've always thought has a really high ceiling. He's a very smart player. Um, and I, I just, I finally saw that player that I've been kind of expecting. Um, he played with Aguasasne in junior B. So like, I, again, I've, I've seen a lot of them. Um, and I just love his game. I love the way he plays. And I think that Georgia defense has so many good athletes out the back end and they have been predicated off being just a team that's going to, you know, just outscore you. And now they have the defense that can kind of hold down the fort because their offense isn't quite as dynamic as it once was, but they're also going to be able to chip in with some goals and maybe Tarbell's not that guy. Um, but he's going to be a guy that's going to hold down the fort. And I think we saw a little bit of a coming out party from him. Oh, he, he was relentless. And yeah. it, it's awesome to see those young defenders kind of start to finally figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like we always focus on, you know, the offensive guys and, oh, they're struggling because they're young. They can't play at the NLL speed. It's not easy for young guys to come and play NLD systems especially if it's one they're not familiar with. And it has taken him a bit to kind of understand the system and what they want to do. But now he's an extra added threat to that group. That's that's a nice piece to have when you know that your team is struggling. And he is a guy that, like I said, we saw him in in the world championships. And I think that's where a lot of people first really saw him in the indoors. but he's a guy that played, like I said, with Aquasasne Junior B. I think he had a handful of games each year with the Arrows. But that's a big jump, right? Like, it's a big jump from him to go from, you know, Junior B. I think he played some Senior B as well. And then make that jump to the National Lacrosse League. So, I don't think – you. I mean, you nailed it. I think that first season that we saw him, he was just playing, you know, just playing my system. Just don't want to make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Now he's mm-hmm. comfortable in the system that he's – you know, extending out, using his athleticism, causing turnovers, picking off passes. Now he's not worried about, okay, all I got to do is make sure I don't get beat my man, make sure I'm here for that slide. I'm playing within my system. And it's true. Everyone talks about the offensive guys. Can they make that jump? And they just kind of assume that D guys can just, you can just pick and plug, but it really is difficult for these guys, especially the guys that aren't the pedigree of these junior A programs that are implementing you know pro sista style defenses uh from the get-go 
the other defender uh, I will add to the list is one that everyone across the National Cross League just continues to fall in love with, and that's Reed Bowery. Absolutely. Um, and sorry, just, go ahead. Just every time he's on the floor, you know he's going to compete for a loose ball. And like 75% of the 80% of the time, he's going to be the guy that gets it. But it's not just that. It's just his ability to roam the floor and be on one side, D and up a guy, and then have the wherewithal and the game knowledge to understand that the shot clock's winding down. His guy's going to go change. So he filters back into the middle of the floor and then becomes slide help on a back guy, pushes a guy to the floor, gets a shot clock and is able to find the loose ball one hand and start transition. Like he may not have the stature of a Jim Veltman or a Brody Merrill, but he has the game sense Mm -hmm. of those types of players. And the one thing that made Jim Veltman so good is that he could understand where the ball was going to be and how it was going to get there off the bounce. And Reed Bowering does that really, really well. And he adds that to a very steady physical defensive system that he plays and a style that he plays. He is becoming one of the best defenders and transition players and all round, maybe all round players in our league in his rookie season. And it's just, it continually blows people away when they actually get to watch him for the first time. And I'll be honest, like when you said, like at the start of the year, your spicy take, like your hot take yeah. was that Jeff T wasn't going to win the rookie. I picked the wrong warrior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I picked the wrong warrior. But like now seeing that, like that's not far fetched. Like, I know mean, it's not. A good, there's a good chance Cool Bet doesn't have the rookie odds right now. But if there was the odds right now, I think Jeff T would still be the favorite. But it's not it's not like he's going to just run away with this award the way that he that he is playing it is it's unbelievable and i mean you you i don't need to hammer it home like but the one thing i will say with him is that it's it's i just because i haven't seen enough of him i just assumed he was this freak athlete with so much upside i did not realize how smart Dude, of a defender it's he is disgusting and he has, like you said, like the Jim Veltman, the, like he just has the knack to always be around the ball or in the yep. right place at the right time. And that's just from him being a smart player. And I honestly, uh, it's crazy to say, but like, I, I, I mean, obviously we, we missed a game from Jeff T. Like he could go off this weekend and, and you know, put up a, an eight spot and then everyone's talking about how it's his award to lose, but it's going to be way closer I, I think if I think when when Teed is healthy, if and and we all believe that he's yeah, I think he's off the COVID list now, um, and he's in the lineup and he starts getting his wheels going. Um, I, I think it comes down to a two horse race at the end of the day. Yeah. I think you know, do the factor in that Jeff was on code for a couple of weeks and couldn't play, and, and Reed was doing this for all 18 games, knock on wood that he's able to, you know, when the time comes. I think those will be questions that have to be asked. Um, but I also, I also think the fact that, you know, there's so much expectation that Tita is supposed to be this good and, and do all the things that he's, we all seen him do that, you know, not sure as many people thought Reed Bowden was going to be this good right away. And I think that might add to the lure 
of him kind of getting the edge over T. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, the fact that we're even having a conversation that, you know, T's not the clear cut winner or a guy that isn't just assumed that he's going to win at the end of the year just shows. And I'm excited. I think these two guys will be tied to each other you know, for the rest of their careers, which is something cool. You know, the Sydney, this, the Crosby Ovechkin kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'd be awesome to see, you know, those two guys played, you know, a lot of lacrosse against each other um, from Mentos. Uh, and now, you know, one day probably playing against each other in the NLL. So mm-hmm. um, it's going to be awesome to see those two, you know, imagine those two guys, you know, the future representing Canada. Yeah. Oh my right? God. On, on both in field and box. Yeah, exactly. Maybe even I, sixes. Cause both of them, um, Teat might not have the defensive prowess to be successful at sixes and, and the want to run the floor or the field, but Reed will be a sixes stud. Oh, Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, I, it's, I Teat apparently, I mean, from the games that I saw, he still looked pretty good in sixes, but yeah. apparently uh, I'm just throwing this out there. Uh-oh. Apparently, Andy Towers already has his eyes on, on rebowering because uh, our guy, uh, our guy Ado, threw out that tweet about uh, how you know he doesn't quite get the recognition that he deserves. Yeah, and yeah. one Andy Towers did hit the like button on that, so obviously his eyes uh, for the chaos. Maybe we see him uh, join that team, and would he not fit that team perfectly? <laughs> stupid. Um, all right, uh, and then lastly, goalie of the week. Uh, you could probably choose of any of the three of O'Rig, uh, Eric Penny, Tyler Carlson. Who would you give the nod to? I would give the nod to, and it's the probably the less intriguing story of them all. I mean, they're all great stories, but I go Penny. He was unbelievable. Like uh, O'Rig was great in his first game, and you know he did a great job uh, as a 19-year-old. And you know TC was awesome coming in relief. Uh, you know, you know playing cleanup duty. But for me, Penny from start to finish, yeah. even when Philadelphia was not looking very good, he made some big stops and kept them in that game and, and allowed them, um, you know, to come out victorious. Did what he does, what he does, man. Soft balls, makes yeah. saves when you need him to. He never, ever really looks bad. No, he just no. Is, is steady. Um, yeah. All right. Week seven. Uh, will the madness continue? Uh, we get Georgia and Buffalo moved to Friday night because the bills are playing so they don't want the conflict which makes sense yes um i think you know if georgia uh plays the way they did against philadelphia they have a chance but if buffalo played the way they get did against toronto i don't think georgia has much of a chance no and i think the big key factor here would be goaltending which is crazy to think and and i i've been pretty critical of Poulin lately and he would be the first one to say, you know, he hasn't been great either. And I don't think he has to be the elite goalie that he once was. And I I don't think he needs to steal games. Um, But with this young defense um, to allow them to continue to grow confidence, um, he needs to make those stops, you know, when they're keeping the pressure from the outside, Mm. the shots that the defense wants him to stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all it, all he needs to do. And I think if he can do that this weekend, and even if they just keep – and moral victories mean nothing in the National Lacrosse League. But if they can keep it close with Buffalo and, you know, not get lit up in the back end, I think that will be great moving forward for this group. But, again, Buffalo just looks so damn good, man. Yeah, 
Yeah, they do. That offense is so fun to watch. Uh, San Diego at Saskatchewan Friday night. This is one of the postponed games that was moved. Um, this has all the storylines to be an interesting matchup uh, when you look at it. But is Frank Chiliano, uh going to be able to get cleared? Uh, is Adam Shoot going to play um, above Adam Shoot average? Can the Saskatchewan offense find their rules? Will Dane Doby continue his average of four goals a game. Um, I think it's, this could be a, if we get a great goaltending duel, I think this is going to be phen- phenomenal. And I think it'll be probably low scoring. Um, I think if you don't get a goal scoring duel, um, hammer the over. <laughs> exactly. I think this is a game where if I'm Saskatchewan, I'm focusing in on those lefties and I'm, trying to just contain Stotts, trying to contain Dobie. And I know they have Berg on the other side. They've got great players on the other side, but I think this is just where you, you kind of, you take Rubish and say, listen, put them on and like neutralize these guys as much as you can. If we get burnt with the righties, so be it. But this could be a chess match. This could be a chess match. I should probably save this for next week on coast to coast, but I'm going to give you, a very spicy hot take right now. Let's hear it. It just popped into my head. And you know how much I love my Victoria boys. Absolutely. Derek Keenan sends Marshall Palace to Buffalo for Brad McCulley. Whoa. Whoa. I like it. Brad McCulley can't get in that roster. No. Um, just because of the depth they have on the left-hand side. Not because he's not good enough. Um, Marshall is struggling because of the lack of size and his lack of speed. And I think just overall lack of confidence in himself. So why not send him to Buffalo where he can learn and grow? I know they were kind of trying to partner with with Shats and all that, but at some point you got to think of your team and making your team better. Bring in Brad McCulley, big, strong lefty. And let Marshall kind of grow in Buffalo. I think it's a win-win for both players. Brad gets in, Marshall can continue to learn and understand and grow and might even help that Saskatchewan rush offense. I like that. I think when you look at that trade, I think McCauley might be more. I think, I think you might want more back. I think you might at Buffalo might, might want more back. I think so. But I think for me though, the way I look at this trade, I think that, Buffalo has so much depth on their offense. They can sit on Palace and let him go. Play exactly. That's, that's game. why you would make the trip. But, but, you know, Saskatchewan can't, right. And, and that's why you'd make the trade. And Macaulay, like I said, I think Palace might have a higher ceiling. Um, but right now I think Macaulay, I think he's ready to go. Like, I think mm-hmm. he can play the pro game and correct me if I'm wrong. I do believe at least through the grapevine, I heard that, you know, Saskatchewan, was interested in potentially drafting him yeah. um, during his draft year. Yeah. They, but for some reason they, they decided that Marshall was their guy. And, and I, I, I want to preface this. I still think Marshall Palace can be an NL player and will be an NL player one day. I just think he was pushed into a situation, which is very unique for, for Saskatchewan. They don't, it doesn't usually happen where, a young guy like him has to be pushed into a role to produce right away. 
Um, it just, that's what's happened. And like you said, he's a little bit undersized. He's played the majority of his career in junior B. He's only had one short in junior A season. Yeah. He played a little bit of senior B um, with the Rivermen, but this is a guy that it's a lot to ask for him mm-hmm. to jump up to the national lacrosse league produce and not, ju- and, and, you know, and, but get thrown into a system. That's probably the most in like intricate offense in all of lacrosse. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, it, it just kind of popped in my head as we were talking about it. And I, I, like it. Mentioned, I had kind of mentioned to, to you guys in the chat the other night that, man, I bet you they wish they would have drafted Brad McCullough. And now that I think about it, it just, it kind of makes sense. It, it's just a trade that would work for both teams. It would trade that can work for both players. Um, so that's I will say uh, this, Derek Keenan, I don't think ever has regretted any of the moves that he made. He's got everything down mm-hmm. to, a, to a science, but I mean, this is a way that you could flip something and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like the, I like the move. Why right. not? Um, Saturday uh, we have the battle of the, on uh, the winless Panther city at New York. Uh, but the sexier matchups are the two TV games, Albany at Philadelphia at noon on ESPN news, and then Halifax at Toronto in front of nobody, but with everybody watching. I will say this afternoon lacrosse. It is the best. It's the best thing going for you guys. It's even better. It's morning lacrosse, wake up, crack Caesar open, make a mimosa, whatever you want to do. It's awesome. And I think it's great. I think it's going to be a great game. I think we see a little more of a structured game than we saw the, the last afternoon game. I think Albany is going to really try to hammer home this grinded out style of lacrosse, which I think is going to work for them. Um, but anytime Philadelphia is on one of these national broadcast games or when they're on these, you know, they had the TV deal last year. It seemed like whenever they had these big games in the afternoon, they were just absolute madness, and it was the same last week. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some fireworks once again. Yeah, and uh, it's awesome because for me, by the time the game done, it's like 11, 30, 12 o'clock, so I still got a good four hours of my afternoon to do whatever I want before the evening game starts, so it's absolutely perfect. I absolutely love it. Um, all right, so I think, you know, with Dan Dawson being put on the active roster, he, he's going to, you know, officially play his 300th game. Um, he will most likely pass junior for second all-time in points. It could be a historic night for the Toronto Rock. And if they can find a way to play a complete game against a, a Halifax team that hasn't played in a month plus, I think this could be a very good night for Toronto. I think it has all the storylines to be a successful night if they can just put it all together. And as you said, get some help from their left ear. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, this rock team, I mean, they, they've really been hit with this COVID bug and even the injury bug. Now you arguably your best lefty right now, Reed Reinhold goes on the IR. So mm-hmm. he's on the IR now. Now that like I, I you can almost assume that Zach Manns is going to be in the lineup. That's a perfect opportunity for him uh, to really get involved in this offense. I do agree, though. I think the what the Rock need to do is turn this in to a track meet early and often. Uh, 36 days layoff since the last time we've seen Halifax. If you start fast, put that doubt in the minds uh, of the Thunderbirds, which is very hard to do. We've seen them claw back some crazy games um, last season. 
But I think if you can jump on them early and then just shut things down in the defensive end and really focus in on, on quieting down those two righties and Bushy and Peterson who have kind of been the heartbeat of that offense, because you want to talk about, you know, struggles on the left-hand side, Halifax might even be worse. I know it's only two games. They've only had two offensive goals on the left-hand side. One, Nungo Thompson, who's a defender, and two, from Eric Fennell, who shot the ball. In the <laughs> but uh, is Jammer going to be healthy? I haven't heard. Honestly, uh, they still haven't really said. By the time the podcast comes out, maybe he's activated. Um, I know the way that they've been progressing this injury, even when it first happened, he was still taking first warm-up uh, and, and seeing how he felt. And then he was a you know game-time decision. I imagine we probably see the same. I don't think he actually was put on the injured reserve. I don't yet. think he ever was. I don't so think. I think I think we probably won't find out if he's in the lineup until that first warm-up is done. Yeah, the only uh, transaction for Cody is August 6th when he signed his one-year deal. Yeah, and I know Shanks is still on the IR. They haven't uh, announced if he's going to be playing or not. Yeah. Uh, my guess is no. I know that his hamstring injury, the lower body injury, was – was uh not worse than they thought but those are just those injuries that just keep nagging and nagging and they feel like they have enough depth on that right hand side that they can allow him to get healthy rather than force him back in the lineup and potentially make it worse Uh, the other game is panther city at new york as mentioned we'll get we'll touch on that uh, as we try to win you some money here time now for box bets your source for all the lines, odds, and props across the NLL. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> all right, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, boosted parlay, Patty, hit him with it. All right. We need to win badly. Oh. We've been struggling. We've I'm not touching this. This is all you. This is all me here. All I think we would have had a winner last week with Rochester. The game got canceled, so here's a winner here. Okay. <clears throat> Riptide, Panther City, over 20 and a half. Yeah, can see it happen. Firewolves, plus one and a half. Don't need to win the game. Just need to keep it within a goal. Okay, well, with Philadelphia's wanting to play one goal games, uh, I like it. Yeah, I'm in. That's that. There you go. And then the last leg of the parlay, which is actually technically the first leg of the parlay because it'll be the first game played this week. The Buffalo Bandits to continue to roll and beat the Georgia Swarm on the money line. Doesn't matter if they win by a thousand. Doesn't matter if they win by one or in overtime. Bandits money line. Put that all together comes out to plus 460. And it was originally paying plus 390. Folks at CoolBet decided to boost it up to plus 460. That's spicy, Patty. It's great. I mean, my picks, like you said. Your picks. I was was pretty good last week. The only Mm -hmm. loser that I gave out was, unfortunately, our parlay. So this week, (laughs) we suspended you. We put you on the IR. Definitely suspended. And I will say, if we lose this, if we lose this one here, I'm going to sit out for a week and you put your parlay together. Okay. Okay. How about that? All right. Um, 
Yeah, love it. Uh, do you got anything? Are there any juicy side nuggets that you're? This uh, honestly, like I was looking at the board, and I think this is just classic sports betting. Like as the season progresses, the lines get harder and harder to to kind of pick, and things don't jump out on you. And I think that's just the books getting smarter. Um, one thing I will say is a new feature now with with the the odds. So if you go to the NLL, which is always on our hot page, mm-hmm. uh, our, our hot tab, click the NLL. You'll see money line, handicap, total goals over and under. If you go to handicap, there's a little, just a little arrow on the bottom. Yeah, I'm looking at that. Right now. You can actually choose where the spread goes. What? So save you're super confident in the Georgia Swarm beating the Buffalo Bandits, but you actually think they're going to beat them by more than a goal. You can actually get them on the, they call it the alternate spread, and you could take. Georgia minus one and a half at plus two ten. Oh, so say if you think Panther City gets their first win, but you think you know one oh eight, you don't really love that juice. You think it's gonna, you know, they're gonna win by two, maybe three goals. You can yeah. switch it that alternate line Ooh. and take them at minus one and a half. Vice versa, Halifax is favored right now, minus one and a half. Say if you you think it's gonna be a really close game. You don't want to take them on the money line. You also don't want to bet on the rock that you're thinking, you know, for a parlay, why the hell not? Let's get them at plus 115 at minus 213. And then maybe you pair that with something else as a little bit of a buffer to get a little more juice into your parlay. So now you can bet those alternate spreads to, to get a little more variety to your picks. Learning something every day here. I was wondering what the heck that little drop down box was. Uh, Patty is um we always like to do where do people go to do all this fancy stuff yeah so i mean if if you're interested in becoming a cool better all you got to do coolbet.com join click that little green deposit button and type in the bonus code otcb and we will double your deposit up to 200 dollars. canadian terms and conditions do apply so you can throw 50 bucks in you'll get an extra $50 on top of that. You can throw a hundred all the way up to 200. We'll double your bonus. Um, what's your other juicy parlays that you got? You got a golf one this weekend or? Yeah. So NFL, I actually, I, I, NFL I'm just going to worry about being a fan and, and, and <sighs> it's going to be too much stress. I mean, I'm not even going to be able to watch the bills game, but obviously that's going to make things a little bit less stressful that I don't have to watch it, but I'll yeah. probably, I'll probably sprinkle some stuff on Sunday or the Monday nighter. But um, for me, uh, as we know, last week, the golf special didn't go great. Did not go great. But my other picks went well. I Wait, I thought you only missed on the Hovland one. Yeah, I missed out on the Hovland. He didn't, he didn't cash, so the parlay didn't cash. Yeah, it's not that it didn't go great. He just went two of three. Hey, Teddy, it's win, win or bust for me. Bro. All right, man. I'm just win trying to, you know, positive outlooks here, man. <laughs> So we didn't break his driver, right? It was not the story. When you sent me that tweet, (laughs) I was like, are you kidding me? This thing is cursed from, but like I said, Berger, Daniel Berger finished top 10. I bet him there and I bet, you know, Cam Smith and he won the whole, whole thing. So let's try to take those positive vibes, put it into my Greggy's golf special this week. And it's a cut special. So this is where I had some success last year. So in the Sony open in Hawaii, Corey Connors, Canadian. Yeah. To make the cut. Love it. Taylor Gooch. Taylor Prendrith, another Canadian, 
and then Cameron Smith, all to make the cut at plus two seventy five. They don't. It doesn't matter where they where they finish after. Yeah, the as cut. long as they make it to the weekend. As long as they make it to the weekend, all those guys there plus two seventy five. So if you're cool, better if you're looking to bet on the NLL, on the NFL Wild Card Weekend, NHL, or the Sony Open, remember go to coolbet.com, use that bonus code OTCB, and we'll double your deposit up to two hundred bucks. Uh, stay cool. Bet responsibly. Not a bit. Um, all right. Uh, that'll do it for another edition. Any final thoughts? Anything you want to say to your adoring fans before we wish you well on TSN? Just tune in. <laughs> tune in, tune in, tune in. And if you're not, if you have to go out, I mean, in Ontario, I don't know where you could possibly be going out. But if where, you yeah, where would you go? Just put the TV on, leave it on for the dog or the cats at home and, and get those ratings up. Get the ratings up. Not Not for me. But for the league, the numbers have been pretty good so far, but um, get the numbers up because that that's only going to allow these 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 deals for next week. Maybe we get more than a game of the week. Yeah. Maybe we get a couple of games of the week or maybe we get some bonus coverage. So, um, you know what? It, it's been awesome. It's been great being able to turn on your television and watch the National Lacrosse League. I know people down in the States we talked about, obviously, you know, um, Pat McAfee tuning in. So. If you see lacrosse on your on your TV, turn it on, record it, support it. Oh, I like that. It's a good little rhyming tagline you got. (laughs) I didn't even mean to do that. You're a poet. You didn't know it. Um, best luck, man. I'm so happy that you get this opportunity. Uh, You're gonna crush it as you always do. Uh, Yourself, John Abbott, Ashley Doc, we'll have the call from first Ontario Center Friday. No, Saturday night. Saturday night. Seven thirty. Seven thirty. Yep. No fans, but that's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting. Right. Let's just be calling a summer game. <laughs> True. Yeah. It's like at the track. Yeah. Um, awesome, man. Appreciate you. I know you're going to have a great time. It's very well deserved and uh, long overdue. I appreciate that, man. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And uh, I already gave you all your compliments last week when I thought I was doing it. So I don't want to. <laughs> Right, we'll, I don't want we'll to have to be nice again. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Steve Govett uh, for stopping by, as always, and giving us his time. Uh, great information from him uh, as we look forward to 2023 in San Diego. Uh, he's at P. Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. Show is at OTCB underscore podcast. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at OTCB podcast. Don't forget, if you want to get yourselves one of those Every Child Matter shirts, head over to nllshop.com or fanatics.ca and get yourself one. Also get yourself any NLL merchandise that you see yourself wearing anytime you're out on the town. So we speak again. Stay safe, enjoy the games, and be excellent to each other. I am an